speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 66 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode we are looking at episodes 8 and 9 of season 6 of The Adventures of Superman. 8 and 9 of season 6, and boy, we're getting there in a hurry, folks. Wow, wow. And with me, once again, is Bob Fisher. Say hello, Bob. Hello. Yay, I'm back. And you did episodes without me. You actually talked about stuff without me. Well, you know, you, you talked about a little guy with green hair, an elephant, a forgetful Jimmy Olsen, all of these 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 things. You know, and I wasn't there to guide you through the landmines that was Mr. Zero. You were invited, you declined. <laughs> <laughs> I can't for the life of me think why. It must have been a timing problem of yeah. some kind. Or an elephant problem. <laughs> <laughs> and, but wasn't the kid's name, though, in the elephant Bobby? What no, no, the kid in the Prince Albert the, coat was Bobby. Oh, yeah, the stole, the, the Prince Albert coat was Bobby. The the tall 23-year-old that they called little Bobby in the, the Jelly Bean guessing game. Yeah, yeah, no. Okay, that was a Bobby. But the elephant wasn't Bobby? He the was, elephant No, he kid? was he was Johnny. Johnny, that's right. Little Johnny. And that's not a, you know, he got marbles for his birthday. He did, and he should have enjoyed it. And he said that it was well. You know, for crying out loud. Marbles, that's pretty cool. I liked getting marbles. I got marbles. They were pretty cool. But yes, you, you navigated through... <laughs> <laughs> that territory. I still haven't gotten a, gotten a confirmation whether or not you're supposed to guide an elephant by pulling its tail. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't. I don't know. I don't know the because inter- you know circus elephants were trained to do that. I don't know in the wild if they follow each other by holding tails. By you know, uh, I've seen it in cartoons. I've seen it at the circus, but I'm not sure I've actually ever looked that up to see. Well, that I did look up. That's they, a that I did elephant. Look up. They do. Uh, Follow each other. The younger ones do follow them. The mother elephants by putting the trunk on yeah. the tail. But I, I, I couldn't find any any confirmation whether or not humans are both the lead elephants around by their tails. Right. I, I don't do that. Tar, on the Tarzan show when I was like a, a kid, great way to get sat on. Right. Right. Well, when I was a kid, and I used to love to watch Tarzan, both well, any form of Tarzan. I was going to, you know, say just Johnny Weissmuller or the cartoon. But no, I like Tarzan as a character, so I used to watch anything, whether it was. Well, it doesn't matter who was playing the character. My favorite was Johnny Weissmiller, of course. But at one of them, I think it might have been the one where Jane, he had met Jane and pretty much kidnapped her for the first time. But he was teaching her and uh, was saying that uh, behind their ear is the way to lead them and communicate with them. But since then, I've read that elephants do a lot of communication through the tusk. Uh, not tusk. The trunks. Uh, trunk. Thank you. And of course, the story of the oh, I got so many elephants. I should have been here. I was going to go into the four blind or three blind men, hold different parts of the elephant and try to describe it. It's remember that was a little. That's a something from long ago. Dave McIlvenny would know this. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We, but anyway, yeah. So 
So we're here tonight, and and you've already said we're talking about episodes eight and nine. Yeah. Already of only thirteen. Yeah. So we're almost there. So wow, wow, wow. You and I only you told have them one what more. They are yet? What was that? Have you told them what what the two episodes are yet? Not not yet. They are the gentle monster, which a is recur- another- a recurring professor. Yes. Actually, After- this is. This is his me. second straight episode. Uh, the last Big ep- Forget. That's the Big right. Forget he was, was in the, the Big Forget. Was the last episode. Very good. Very yeah. good. And well. uh, we have uh, another memorable episode, Superman's Wife. <laughs> oh, Me- boy. Memorable, of course, for the uh, awesome storytelling and acting by John Eldridge. Absolutely. I can't wait till we get there. Way to go, John. And uh, if you believe that, I have the Hobbs Bay Bridge to sell to <laughs> And I have some property in Mordor that would be available. Nobody wants your volcano. <laughs> but it's hot and volcano-y. That's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I know. I know. <laughs> oh, man. But I'm looking forward to tonight. These are going to – these are kind of fun with the professor, a good professor coming back with, as you mentioned, this consecutive episode. So we have consecutive continuity in a way. In a way. But not, but, not, but, but not really. In a way. And Louis is back. Yes, he is. This is Woo-hoo. for the last time. Yep, this is his last shot. Wow. So sad. And he was funny. He was very good. He was his He was his self. He was right there, man. He was good. And they, they, they also found a mutant for this episode. Mm-hmm. As, as, yeah. the guy, as the guy who plays that scientist must have had the longest arms I have ever seen on a human being. I did not notice that. that I now first, go back and that look at I don't know. It looked like it looked like his wrists were on his knees. The guy who was who was giving the the first sign, the the bomb builder. Yeah, that that guy had some freakishly long arms. Uh, I did not notice. I, I noticed he was rather thin. Yeah, very thin, tall, and lanky. That's probably why yeah. he looked like he had those freakishly long yeah. arms. But uh, probably why he was good. Sitting, probably why he was sitting down all the time. <laughs> Maybe he was seven feet tall. They probably couldn't couldn't get to keep him in the <laughs> shot with the normal sized actors. <laughs> Oh, be nice. <laughs> well, it's a cinematic trick. So, yeah, we've had some questions over the past week of how we're going to cover certain things. At the, just want to throw out there to those who have asked, at the conclusion of the series, which is in a couple of weeks, believe it or not. Yeah, won't be long. Yeah. We, after this, we only have one more, two more episodes to talk about. Uh, right. We have four episodes of the show left, so it would fit into two episodes here. Right, I'll be on. Wow. I'll be on my own next week, and uh, you'll be back for the finale. The finale, and right. after that, we're gonna. I guess we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, George Reeves and the legacy of the show, and uh, we're going to work into that uh, some talk about Hollywoodland. Yeah, boy. Yeah, we're not gonna gonna cover it uh, blow by blow the way we do these episodes, but and I, yeah, I think I think that I agree. I think that's kind of the best way. We'll we'll touch on on it, talk a little bit about it, give some opinions about it, but but. Um, yeah, I don't think we need to go into that particular movie and I don't, in, that, in and that kind of detail. And I don't think either of us are knowledgeable enough about the history to pick it apart for historical accuracy. Yeah, and and from what I know about it, and we'll we'll talk more about it when we get to it. It is it's interesting the choices that they made and how they put it on the screen based on certain things we know and certain things we don't know. Right, and so you just have to guess. Well. Was that person there the whole time? Because, you know, but it's a it's a mystery. It's a crime mystery. Right. It's a well, it's a crime mystery. Is it a murder? Is it a suicide? Right. It showed a lot of, of the legend. Yeah, there were some fun scenes in it. And I think Ben Affleck 
Well, we'll talk about it when we get there. Yeah. Let's not give it all away no. now. Let's not give it away now. But we'll it, talk- does, it does show that Batman wears Superman pajamas. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> At least a few. And that's play. only what he's. There's not many people that can say they they have played both Batman and Superman in costume. Yeah, but no, we'll get we'll get to that too. Ah, uh, I know, did, I know. Did, did Ben Affleck really play Superman? Well, he played George Reeves playing Superman. Did, did Brandon Routh really play Superman? Well, that's still no, 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 no. Send mail to Mike on that one. <laughs> I mean, Brandon was a fine Superman. Yes, the I, movie sucked. It might have been a lot better if he didn't have to play Christopher Reeve, but that's a conversation for a few years down the road. <laughs> yes. Boom. Way down the road. Way down there. Way over there. You still have a long way to go to get to that one. Yeah, and actually, actually, it's kind of interesting. I got an email today from a listener. Yeah? It wasn't Dave. Oh, hi, Dave. Well, we don't have any email from Dave because none of the, sh- none of the previous shows we've done have dropped yet. Oh, oh, I see. Okay, gotcha. Ooh, timey wimey. Yes, but anyway, I, I think I and other people have asked this too. That was, by the way, the Doctor Who theme I was just doing very poorly. Oh well, it was still <laughs> the human voice can't really uh, duplicate that haunted house sound. No, it can't. It can't. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got an email from uh, from a listener today asking when I'm going to get to the Christopher Reeve movies and. Superman the Animated Series and Smallville. When they come up? Well, yeah. That, that's the <laughs> snarky answer. <laughs> if my schedule goes the way I expect it to go, I'm get, I'll get to Christopher Reeve in about 2019. Really? What's coming? Uh, wait a minute. We got George Reeves. Well, he's almost done. Yeah, which was all, we're almost done. You got two more episodes of that, plus the, you know, and then. Filmation um, will take about probably six to eight months. Really? How many filmation cartoons were there? Enough. Those are those are the ones with Bud Collier doing the voiceover still, right? Yeah, which is good because that'll give me a chance to actually talk about Bud Collier because I'm coming to appreciate him more now that I'm listening to that uh, old time radio show. Oh, good, good. But you know what? During the flashes, he really didn't talk a lot. No, no. So I'm hoping but, during during the but film, go back now that you've familiarized yourself with him with Bud Collier. And Lois Lane, for that matter. Right. Because it's basically the same two voices. And now go back and watch the Fleischer ones again. It's still just, those cartoons still just blow me away. And it's just everything about them. They are the golden age Superman brought to life. Absolutely. but And, and, I, and I still love them regardless. But it's very hard to talk about the vocal performance of Bud Collier in those shows when he only had like two or three lines an episode. Uh, true. True. But and but there are some classic. This looks like a job for Superman, which he did on the radio show. Ah, so I'm coming to so good. It is, and I'm coming to appreciate it more now that I've listened to the radio show. So I'm gonna I'm looking forward to hearing him again on on the uh, filmation because really, you know, I look back at the Fleischers and the animation is really the star. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. The filmation's not so much. No, no, no. They're so, good for sentimental reasons. Yeah, but uh, and they were attempting to do. You know, a, a DC of that time period, a Kurt Swan, if you would look. Right. <clears throat> they just missed a little bit. Right. Just kind of missed. But, so, uh, yeah, that will, New Adventures, according to this, will take me to about February of next year. Mm-hmm. What were the dates on the filmation? Those were 60. The late 60, 66 to. No, 66. Oh, oh later than I thought. Okay, 66. Around, around time Batman was out. Right. Okay. And then. God willing, I'm going into the Super Friends. 
Super Friends. Yeah, he is. <laughs> the, he is there. Yes, he is. So. Not the featured player. No, but he is there. But he is there. And they are highly regarded. They are highly they, regarded. They are so. fan favorite. They are. And, and uh, the superpowers little action figures were based on them. Yeah, I had a lot of those. And I love that. I have a really nice collection of the little superpowers guys. Right, yeah, I had them. Uh, I have a Hall of Justice. I do too. It's in pieces, but I have it. <laughs> I should have I well, kept You probably got yours when you were a kid and actually played with it. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I I was not a kid when I got mine. No, so. you were no, you were not. And I probably picked it up at Toys R Us at the time, and and then just made some excuse saying, "Well, it's for my nephew." Yeah, I'm getting it for my for my nephew because in those days we were still closet geeks. You couldn't really be out there. You know what? Though, if I put out a call for guest hosts on Super Friends, I probably have to beat them away with a stick. Yeah, everybody will come on and talk about Super Yeah, Friends. everybody loves that one. So Yeah. And what came after them? What's the, what's then? So 29, I can see now why 2019. Well, basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to stick the, the Reeve movies in where they came up, come up in the chronology. Gotcha. So I'll be doing Super Friends. I'll take a break for Superman the movie, then a break for Superman 2. Gotcha. That's kind of gotcha. how I'm going to slide the movies in. Then after that is Ruby Spears. Right. And then I'm going to do Superboy. All right. The TV show, Superboy, yeah. not the animated. Well, the animated Superboy... Was that, were those part two of the Ruby Spears no, segments? There, there was a Superboy segment, I believe. I know there was a Superboy segment in the Filmations. Okay, maybe it is the Filmation I was thinking about. that you do a, They would do the regular Superman stuff and then come back, and at the end of the show would be a, a, a short Superboy. Well, from what I saw about, about the Filmations, it's per half hour there were three stories. Two, two, okay. su- two Supermans and a Superboy in the middle. That'll be interesting. Yeah, I have to, I have to tweak it to format a little bit for that. Mm-hmm. But that's interesting too. That, that I think that's a wise, uh, a, a good choice for you to put the put the movies in as they pop up chronologically with whatever else is going on, Superman wise at the time. Right. Yeah, I'm not going to do like Christopher Reeve month. Right. But uh, uh, <clears throat> I was at the premiere in Washington D.C. of Superman the movie, the premiere yeah. with Jimmy Carter and his daughter Amy. Wasn't that her name, Amy? I think so. Amy Carter? Yeah. yeah. And two, uh, two premieres I would have liked to have been around for. That one and Star Wars. Ooh. Two, yeah, two premieres. Yeah, I was, I was, I, I didn't, nothing fancy about Star Wars for me. It wasn't as dramatic as the whole Superman, the movie, but right. my wife and I had no idea what it was. We were dating at the time. We weren't married. We were just dating, and it was, you know, a date night. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Let's go to a movie. Right. I think we might have even just gone to the theater and picked one off of the, hey, this one looks cool. Right. Had no idea what we were about to see. And to watch Star Wars on the big screen, not knowing anything about Star Wars for the first time. I kind of missed the days of not knowing what's coming out. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm trying to avoid as much as I possibly can about any spoilers for, I haven't watched the, other than the first video that came out for Wonder Woman and right. the first video that came out for Justice League. I haven't watched any of the other stuff. Nah. And uh, I don't want to. I don't. I'm hoping to really be surprised in, about Wonder Woman and just love it. Right. And then Justice League. I think I pretty much know what's happening with that. Yeah. I think I know where where they're going with that. And then it's just a matter of whether I like and how it leaves me or not. Because I already know that our guy is not. You know, he's not going to be in a lot of scenes. No. And uh, you know, we're going to all have to figure out 
how we feel about that. You know, because again, I have mixed feelings. I have read many Justice League comics where Superman was not part of it. I liked the Justice League cartoon show and the JLI cartoon show animated. And Superman was only there periodically in this episode. Well, or yeah, episode especially, or this especially JLU, but... Uh, right. But, but they it, had so many other characters. It always it, was, it always annoyed me that, you know, they had to find, they always found a way to get Superman out of the way. Yeah, I know. And that's... I can almost now, as a critic, see some of the stuff they talk about because you can almost say, "Well, if we've got Superman, why do we need why do we need any of these other guys?" Right. And uh, um, so it bugs me, and I think that's the attitude Zack Snyder took for his Justice League movie and had to rethink it. And I think they have retooled the plot, but not drastically. I think it's going to still be the same basic story that I thought it's going to be the whole time. Except that they might have added a joke or two here and there or a few lighten it up scenes. But when Zack Snyder said Superman is in the movie, whether he's on screen or not, tells me he's not going to be there. And that's Zack Snyder saying that, well, that's why they're putting the Justice League is in his memory and they'll say his name a lot and they'll do this a lot. But he won't be there. Until uh, hopefully when he does show up, it's got to be a matter of it's gonna what's gonna make or break that film is how he comes back. There it is. There it is. Right there. It it has to be glorious. It has to be. If it is a movie just about Batman assembling the Justice League and Superman just shows up to help out at the end, then he's failed miserably. No, all hope all hope has to be lost. Yeah, and Superman has to turn has to turn the tide. Has to do it. That's the only, that's the only way it works. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's got to almost be that, in spite of me getting the best powered heroes I could find, all has been lost. And he returns. Uh, and he comes back. Yeah. And it would be nice if he does it in a really bright red costume. You know, bright costume. Well, he's gonna wear the same costume that he's. <laughs> Yeah, 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 I think so too. The, the, there was a line, I believe it was in a Green Lantern comic, where Hal Jordan was narrating. He says something to the effect of, anyone can come back from the dead. Only Superman could come back in time to save us all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great line. So, yeah, no, yeah. when he comes back, it, it, it has to be glorious. Well, I hope. I really hope. Because if it does, if it fails, the DC uh, universe is dead. It's over. If if Justice League fails, then then uh, it's over. I don't care what they've got on the drawing board or what they've planned, but Justice League has to be spectacular. Right. Or I think it might even – I definitely think it's the end of, of DC having any hope of recovering. But if it's not a f- massive success, it could be the end of the whole comic book movie genre anyway. How much further can we go? We've seen them both now get all their guys together. Marvel and DC. And Marvel's about to lose everybody. And yeah, Marvel is starting to screw theirs up. So Mar- Marvel's, Marvel's going to lose Downey, going to lose Downey soon. They're going to lose Chris Evans. Right. I think Chris Hemsworth is ready to walk away. Yes. I oh. think all their big names are going, which means they're going to have to either recast Iron Man, Captain America, Hulk, recast all their their big guys, or go to their second rung. Uh, of character and i don't think they have enough i don't think they're deep enough to do a big budget movie even though guardians was a success the first time with people who most people had no idea who the guardian no, 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 no nobody did 
No, and that took them by surprise, and they were able to do a moderate to low-budget superhero movie, but it had heart, it had feeling, it had humor. It was fun, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a Civil War. It wasn't a regular Marvel superhero movie. No. And I would have a hard time mixing those two universes, the Guardian of the Galaxy people with, uh, uh, what do they call it? Yeah, Avengers. I was trying, God, I couldn't think of the Avengers. But yeah, I think that would be a hard mix. So who knows? Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting what what happens to them after Phase yeah. Four, what, after the Infinity War movies. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Man of Screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Episodes eight and nine. All right, let's take a quick break, play a promo, and then we'll come back with uh, <laughs> the Gentle Monster. Hang around, folks. My name is Bob Fisher, and I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it, from 1938 to the present day. From the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years. And if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com Welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into The Gentle Monster. Original broadcast date was March 24th, 1958. Writer was David Chandler, and director was Howard Brotherton. Guest cast included Phil Teed as Professor J.J. Pepperwinkle, Wilkie DeMartel as Mr. McTavish, John Vivian as Duke, Ben Weldon as Blade, and Orville Sherman as Harold, the gangster scientist. <laughs> With long arms. With long arms. Wasn't that the name of uh, the Hunchback in the Batcave in the 90s Batman comics? Uh, I forgot. That just kind of showed so, up one day and then yeah. disappeared. Yeah. Anyway. The Hunchback of the Batcave. Yeah. Batman found him somewhere. I thought his name was Harold, too. Anyway. Might have been. On to our synopsis brought to you by SupermanHomepage.com. Harold was, by the way, a little footnote before I say your number one source for Superman on the web. Harold was a one-time brother, little brother, of Lana Lang. Showed up in one comic, discovered Superboy's secret identity, and you never see him or hear from him again. Hmm. <laughs> Curiouser yeah, and curiouser. Okay. Now, what did you say just before I rudely interrupted? The, that we're going into the synopsis brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com? Oh, your number one source for Superman on the web. We are off to a great start tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's a busy evening in the offices of the Daily Planet. Crime boss Duke is called to threaten Clark Kent. Hello, Kent speaking. I understand you plan to investigate a certain munitions operation. Never mind who this is. Just take a little advice. Lay off. Unless you want the Daily Planet to suffer one of the worst disasters in newspaper history. Look, we've been threatened over a thousand times. It's never stopped us before. All right, Kent, if that's the way you want it. He won't scare now, but he will later, provided your little brainchild works. I told you it was purely experimental. Take a look. Balloon, a radio directional receiver, and a bottle of super nitroglycerin. (laughs) Sort of a junior guided missile, huh? Not so junior. 
When this thing goes off, I want to be a long way in some other direction. <laughs> and the target for tonight is the Daily Planet villain, huh? That's right. If he doesn't stop his investigations of the gangster's munitions operation, an experimental bomb created by Duke scientist Harold will hit the planet building. The explosive device is composed of a radio directional receiver, a balloon, and a bottle of supernatural glycerin. And it could be powerful enough to obliterate most of the city once it goes off in Kent's office. It could even blow up during construction of the weapon. Meanwhile, Mrs. Taylor, who owns and runs a boarding house on 64 Hope Street in Metropolis, has seen an iron monster prowling around next door. Mrs. Taylor's neighbor happens to be Professor Pepperwinkle. Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen have discovered the monster she saw is, in fact, Mr. McTavish. Well, Professor Pepperwinkle, you remember us. I do? Sure. This is Miss Lane. I'm Jimmy Olsen. We're from the Daily Planet. Oh, of course, of course. Well, come in, I suppose. Uh, Professor, we had a tip at the newspaper today about something that sounded pretty ridiculous. <clears throat> oh, uh, you did? Well, it concerns a, a weird iron monster. Um, a, a monster? One that mows lawns. And somebody saw it around your house tonight. Uh, yeah. uh, sit down, please. I just can't stand it any longer. The police were here earlier questioning me, and I have to tell someone. Then there is something to tell. Uh, I can trust you, can't I? Why, of course you can trust us, Professor. Well, I, I just must have some advice. I, I wouldn't ever want to alarm anyone. Mr. McTavish, uh, come out, McTavish. to be alarmed. McTavish wouldn't hurt a flea. Uh, McTavish, uh, shake hands with Miss Lane and Mr. Olson. How do you do, Mr. McTavish? I'm glad to meet you, Mr. McTavish. Uh, now, McTavish, uh, take your book and uh, over by the piano. You mean he can read? Oh, dear me, no. He just looks at the pictures. Professor, this is incredible. Where did you find it? I mean, uh, where did you find Mr. McTavish? Uh, he's a little uh, sensitive, but I, I didn't find him, Miss Lane. You see, I'm a lonely old man, and I built him to keep me company. And he's really very good company. He's, he's very helpful. He likes to putt around the yard, and, uh, oh dear, I'm, I'm afraid that's what got us into trouble. That's when Mrs. Taylor saw him. I, I'm afraid so. And you know what would happen if the news got out? Oh, publicity and curiosity seekers and, and well, McTavish and I are really very happy alone. Aren't we, McTavish? Oh, he's really just a child. Now I'm imagining you can actually talk to him. Oh, yes. I have him tuned to the exact wavelength of my voice frequency. But, but anyone can talk with him uh, through this. Uh, try it, Miss Lane. It converts your voice to the same frequency as mine. I don't know what to say to a robot. Well, let's see, let's see. Well, why don't you ask him to take one of these media specimens out of the case and crush it? He's really very strong. Hello, Mr. McTavish. Take a meteor out of the case and crush it.
He must be as strong as Superman. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. McTavish. Uh, why don't you go back where you were? You, you must help me decide what to do. The automaton is powered by a meteor from his collection that is later learned to be kryptonite when Superman comes near Mr. McTavish. Superman! What are you doing here? Please, Superman, I really haven't done anything wrong. So there really is a monster. Superman, what's the matter? No. Help me out of here quickly. Superman, please tell us what's wrong. I don't know, Jimmy. I... Oh, I have to get away from here. Excuse me. I guess it had to happen sometime. Superman's losing his powers. Unless I'm mistaken, Jim, there's only one explanation. Come on. Is he all right, Miss Lane? It all depends, Professor. Have you ever heard of kryptonite? Kryptonite? No, I don't believe so. That's it, Miss Lane. Kryptonite. It's the only thing in the world that could weaken Superman. What's almost killed him a couple of times. I don't understand. Well, it's a special element from the planet Krypton. That's where Superman comes from. And there must be some of it right here in this room. Miss Lane, did you notice that it happened to Superman when he came near Mr. McTavish? You're right, Jim. Now think carefully, Professor. What did you put inside Mr. McTavish? Well, just about a little of everything, Miss Lane. What about those meteors? Did you use anything like that? Come to think of it, I did. A tiny piece of meteor I found years ago. It gave off such a strange reaction on my Geiger counter, I thought I'd try it in McTavish's power unit. That must be it. It must be kryptonite. Well, whatever it is, it gave McTavish an extraordinary strength, so I left it in. Now, promise me you'll keep McTavish in the house. We'll get Clark Kent to contact Superman and see what he has to say. Why, of course, Miss Lane. I wouldn't dream of hurting anyone. Good. Come on, Jim. Let's go. Pepper Winkle will also have to work fast. Blade, Duke's henchman, who was living at Mrs. Taylor's rooming house, has seen the robot and told his boss what it can do for him. Well, that's it, Duke. You mean it's all set? I mean, it's as far as I can go with it. The balloon is zeroed in electronically on Kent's office in the Planet Building. Okay, hook it onto the balloon, let it go up the skyline. Oh, now, wait a minute, Duke. This chassis has to go into the housing. Duke! Duke! Oh, shut up Just a minute, will you? Shut up! In the housing, once this goes in, these points make contact through a mercury switch. Theoretically, the bomb goes off ten minutes later. What's theoretics got to do with it? It means this is an entirely new experimental job. Once those points make contact, Anything could happen. In other words, it might go off immediately? I'm afraid so. Well, this is a fine time to tell me that. Well, take it or leave it. You wanted something big enough to demolish an entire building, and this is it. If it works. But somebody's got to put it together. Oh, no, no, don't look at me. This is just great. What are we supposed to do, let the bomb put itself together? Boss, I got it, I got the answer. I know just the guy to do it, Mr. McTavish. McTavish? Who's he? You know the place I live, Mrs. Taylor's boarding house? Yeah, sure, sure, I know. Well, tonight she's seen something. First she calls the police, then she calls the planet, then she sends me out for a look. That's how I happen to be peeking through the window when Superman shows up. Superman? Superman. That's what I said. Now, you know something funny? When Superman gets near the professor's robot, he practically passes out on the floor. Now, let's take it slow, right from the beginning. Well, 
the professor got lonely, see? So he made himself a robot. You won't believe this, Duke, but that robot can do anything a human being can do. The masked Duke and his equally disguised gang arrive to take Mr. McTavish. They also bound and gag Professor Pepperwinkle and abduct Lois. Professor Pepperwinkle has managed to call the Daily Planet for help. Hello, Clark Kent. Oh, oh, yes he is, just a moment. It's for you, Jimmy. Hello, Jim Olsen speaking. Hi, Professor Pepperwinkle. She was terrible. You stay right there, I'll do something. You might like to know, Mr. Kent, that Miss Lane and Mr. McTavish have been stolen. What are you talking about? No, no, never you mind, you're too busy. I'll do something. Now, just a minute, no matter what you may be thinking, I haven't ignored this thing. In fact, I've already made arrangements to contact Superman myself. Well, Jeepers, I'll come with you. Oh, no, you won't. You're gonna stay right here and that's an order. Stick by that phone in case anybody calls. Yes, sir. Superman is flown to the rescue. Easy, Professor. Easy. Superman, Superman, they, they took Miss Lane and Mr. McTavish. I know, but where? Did they say anything? Anything you could remember? They was all too confused. Uh, nothing made any sense. We've got to find them. Whoever they are, we've got to find them. Well, they were masked. I don't even know what they look like. Now think, Professor. Think hard. Anything they said, anything they did. I can't remember anything. Besides, if you get too near McTavish again... I know, I know. He's loaded with kryptonite. It could kill you. Then we'll have to worry about that when the time comes. Right now, we have to worry about finding Miss Lane. I'm terribly worried about her. How can we find her? Oh, dear, dear. There's just one possibility. Yes, Professor. Uh, before I knew what it was, it gave off a very peculiar and odd sound on my Geiger counter. That's worth a try. You get that counter and I'll fly it all over the city if I have to. No, no, I'm afraid that wouldn't work. You'd be flying too fast for it to register. Oh, well, we, we could cruise around in my car. Now, that might take days. Well, let's hope it doesn't. Uh, I'll get my Geiger counter. Do that. Mm -hmm. Having moved to his apartment in the city with Blade and Harold, Duke is using a special microphone to give Mr. McTavish orders. The robot is to help him construct the bomb he wishes to use on the Daily Planet building. At the same time, Superman and Professor Papawinkle have found the warehouse where the automaton is located. As Mr. McTavish builds the explosive device, the Metropolis Marvel arrives. Unfortunately, the kryptonite powering Mr. McTavish is causing him great harm. To make matters worse, the balloon containing the nitroglycerin weapon has been launched. A battle of words over control of Mr. McTavish has been waged with Professor Pepperwinkle coming out the victor. There goes the end of the planet, Miss Lane, and the end of Superman. McTavish, walk towards Superman. No, McTavish, it's me! Move away! Move away! I didn't count on him. McTavish, walk towards Superman. No, listen to me! Move away! Away! Toward him, McTavish! Toward him! Back, McTavish! Back! Forward, you jump pile! Forward! No, no, McTavish! Back! You must listen to me! To me! Forward! Back! 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 Back, McTavish! Back! You'll be all right now, Superman. Thank goodness it's not too late. Isn't it, Miss Lane? What about the planet building? We're guiding the bomb to it right now. 
Superman is well is now well enough to race to the planet building to grab the bomb from Jimmy Olsen's hands. Having followed the microphone's radio beam, the man of tomorrow then arrives in Duke's apartment with explosive in hand. How will we know when it happens? Uh, you'll know, gentlemen. I assure you, you'll know. The bomb! You can get out of here! It'll go off any second! I'll get rid of it just as soon as I have your written and signed confessions. Yes, sir, Superman! Give me that! How, how did you find us? I just followed your radio beam right back here. Yeah, I told you that modern junk would get us into trouble. Give me that. There, now, Superman, will you, will you take it out of here now, please? Of course. Oh, one more thing. Um, you boys won't leave here, will you? We'll wait right here until you come to fetch us. That's but get that out of here. Our hero flies away with the nitroglycerin, allowing it to explode harmlessly in the air. Professor Pepperwinkle has removed the kryptonite from Mr. McDavish. <laughs> oh, my, my, my. How I wish I could have seen their faces. But what if the bomb had gone off, Clark? Oh, I dare say Superman could have smothered it, Lois, but he thought they deserved a good scare. I'm sorry I was angry at you, Mr. Kent. Jeepers, if you hadn't contacted Superman... Oh, forget it, Jimmy. Everything turned out all right. Yes, everything came out all right. Even the kryptonite out of Mr. McTavish. Uh, he's not strong anymore. He's just an ordinary robot. But he's still kind and gentle and my friend. Well... Jeepers, and what a cook! You see, Clark, you have no reason to fear Mr. McTavish. Oh, I'm sure you're right, Lois. After all, it was Superman who was in danger. All right. So, Bob, what do you think about this one? I enjoyed this little episode. I, I really do. I, I love Pepper Winkle. I just think he's just a great character, and I love his episodes. I always have. You know, whether it's topsy-turvy or – and well, I can list them. He's a recurring character that I always enjoy watching, and he plays the character so well. And I like, uh, you know, bring in a little uh, little robot, although everybody in this episode calls it a robot. Yes. It's a robot. I guess that was a thing. But yeah, I like this episode a lot. I, I think it's got a lot of heart. It's a lot of fun. And it uh, brings back some of our favorite characters. And again, George is just terrific. Yes. He, he, gets, he, he just is so good. It's just hard. You really, with these episodes, regardless of how, you know, childish or whatever they are, you, some of them, you really just cannot take your eyes off of George Reeves. He just dominates the scenes when he's in them, both as Clark Kent and as Superman. He's just so, so good. You, you really, I was going to say, you really have to almost concentrate not to look at him. You have to actually tell yourself, okay, unless they're doing a close-up on Jimmy, I'm just going to still watch Jack Larson through the whole scene or whatever. Right. And Jack's got some funny scenes. As uh, I like that Noel picked up on it right away, you know, where, as soon as Superman got weak and left. Hey, you know, I think, so. though, you know, Phil Teed steals a lot of his scenes, too. Yes. The professor. Yes. Uh, professor. Yeah, the professor does. Yes, he does. And, and uh, what, what's nice about the professor is he's a recurring character with an actor who they know. So I'm imagining yes. they can write to, to Phil Teed when they're writing Pepperwinkle. Yes, I think so, too. I think you're exactly right. And I'll bet there are some some funny scenes. I'll bet there are some outtakes that because it was on 35 millimeter film, they don't keep them. Uh, it was too expensive. But um, uh, I just bet between takes and stuff, they had a lot of fun, George, because you can almost see sometimes a, it's like a twinkle in his eye. And it's just for that split. You got to look for it. But you can almost see the actor back there. 
kind of smiling at what's going on in the scene, not necessarily what's going on between the two of them or something, not necessarily the scene itself. Right. You know what I mean? You know, there was one, we talk about, you know, what they keep or what they don't. There was one episode, I don't remember which one it was, and I wish I took a note of it, that I was watching it, and you know what, I watched the episode and I could tell right there that Jack Larson flubbed his line. Yes. Because Jimmy corrected himself. Mm-hmm. You generally don't write, you know, characters misspeaking into the script. Right. But you know right. what, he, th- that speaks to Jack Larson's ability. I wish I remember what episode that was. It was a re- well, one of the season six episodes, but... Yeah, you know, I think they I think they made the mistake, that. and he corrected himself immediately. And mm-hmm. you buy it because it could be just Jimmy making a mistake. And, right. Could be Jimmy screwing up. Right. But, you know, right. it is. I think they've done that. Period. I think Lois screwed hers up one time and started talking and then stopped and then came in at the right time. Lois but, screwed, up, screwed up her line in this episode. Mm-hmm. If you watch the scene where they get the address for Pepperwinkle's house, where the monster is, uh-huh. she says 64 Hope Street or Hope Drive or whatever it is. Mm. And uh, her, they just keep they keep on going. She didn't say. They must have recorded over hmm. because she must have said 60 and she her mouth did not say 64, but she, but oh. she did. <laughs> okay. You see, yeah. I know, I notice these things because I'm always having trouble with my, my surround sound falls out of sync once in a while. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I can always tell when the mouth and the voice are off. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it happens sometimes. But overall, yeah, I like this episode and I, I think among the cute or sweet little episode that this one is, is a good one. And uh, McTavish is a great robot. And, um, you know, uh, no, I'm not going to tell that. I had this long joke I was going to do about it. McTavish was really the first choice that Steve Jobs was going to name the computer. But his wife said, hey, that reminds me of a Macintosh Apple. (laughs) No, that's not that didn't happen at all. (laughs) McTavish, great name for a robot, great name for a butler. McTavish, good name. It is. Apparently, uh, for, I found this uh, on the web. The robot costume, or robot costume, for <laughs> right. McTavish was used four years earlier in the Bowery Boys Meet the Monsters. I have never seen this movie, so oh. I cannot confirm that, but maybe you have. <laughs> I have seen the Bowery Boys. I have seen that, and and and, uh, uh, but I didn't remember that it was that it was this robot. I mean, it's been. I, you know, 50 years since I've seen the Bowery Boys. I right. probably I saw it on a – they used to show those every Saturday morning. If you get up really early on Saturday morning, they used to show Bowery Boys, Little Rascals, Three Stooges, Marx Brothers. You know, they would show a lot of that stuff real early before the uh, networks cut in with their regular cartoons and stuff. And uh, uh, I watched all – I love the Bowery Boys. Right. Leo Dorsey. I mean, I can tell you the game. Yeah, it's it, – it, Love the Bowery Boys. Love them. Great characters. So the costume was used. Uh, Terrific. Then. That's a good little piece of trivia. And uh, Mr. McTavish was a better robot than the one we saw in season one, I believe it was, the runaway robot. Yeah, the runaway robot. Yeah, that was a little clunky. They learned a lot. Yeah. They learned a lot. And I like this one better than that one. But that was interesting, too. That was that was a fun episode, though. It was kind of yeah. stupid, but it was a fun episode. And a great scream, if I remember correctly. Well, yeah, Phyllis. I, I always, think Phyllis had a great a scream, scream in that one. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that was a season one episode yeah. that we did way back then. Yeah, way back when. <laughs> so, but even before that, the first thing I noticed when this episode opened was, "Hey, huh. there's Ben Weldon again." Yes, welcome back, Ben. Yep, for the last time. Yeah, yeah, sad. 
a lot of these guys, because they're not in the last four episodes, it's their last time on. A lot of these guys I don't think I've seen before. Uh, yeah, the main mobster. I think this was his only shot right. on Superman. And there was one guy in the mob scene. Oh, that's in the next episode. Yeah, that's Explain. the next episode. If we, yeah. yeah, and I never saw that scientist. I, I'd have remembered that string bean if I saw him before. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, the first our mobster Duke is going to call and threaten the Daily Planet with one of the uh, worst disasters in newspaper history. I'm pretty sure that happens about once a week at the planet. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And then after that, uh, Clark gets a strange phone call about a metal monster. And you have to know that clearly these two things are going to end up being related. Yeah, boy. Yeah. So, Lois and Jimmy go investigate the metal monster. Jimmy uh, asks for the next time the caller to uh, to call about something a little more realistic, like a fire-eating dragon. <laughs> I don't know where Jimmy is visiting during his off hours, but apparently there are fire-eating dragons there. And uh, <laughs> Lois uh, quickly realizes why the dress is familiar, because Professor Pepperwinkle opens the door, and he uh, doesn't seem to uh, remember remember them. So they don't remember from last episode where he lives, and he doesn't remember from last episode well, seeing well, them. Well, Lois remembered that the address seemed familiar. Mm. Okay. And uh, Professor Pepperwinkle, you know, didn't seem to recognize them. When maybe he was, maybe they woke him up. Or maybe he was playing with his forget spray. Yeah, and... that was my note, that he must either be groggy or he sprayed himself with too much of that memory vapor from the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then we meet uh, Mr. McTavish, and... Uh, you know, he's very blocky, and he looks like he's got hoses on his legs and arms. And honestly, if he were orange, he kind of reminds me of the blockheads from the old Gumby cartoon. Mm, okay. Good. With the squares. I didn't think of that at all. Yeah, I was watching that when I was eight or nine. But now, yeah, now that you mention it, you're right. At least the top well, half I keep thinking of the traditional robots, the um, Lost in Space robot and a, the one from Forbidden Planet. Right. And they had the kind of hose arms, this kind of arms that would come in and out to retract that was kind of a clever way to make them work that way but you're right this guy has a big cube head and a big yeah. cube upper body chest right a metal skirt and then uh, um you know those rubbery looking retractable type hose right. legs and arms yeah that way so his knees and elbows can bend right somewhat. exactly without having to have joints and right. stuff yeah so it's actually not a bad no it's not a bad looking know, robot at all yeah not a bad robot at all and on a really no-budget show, it's not a bad robot at all. Apparently. And I can remember even as a kid really liking this episode. They borrowed it from the Bowery Boys. <laughs> right. It was just in a closet in the back lot. This one. <laughs> so, uh, Pepperwinkle apparently invented Mr. McTavish to keep him company. Apparently buying a dog didn't occur to him. <laughs> Dogs can do the same thing with less, with less, of, less of a hassle. Oh, man. You Did you it. hire a joke writer? No, but they, 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 were, they were coming to this episode. <laughs> yes, I do were. love this episode, but it's so easy to pick at it. Oh, yeah, way easy. Way easy. There's even a scene, I think it's great once the, well, you're almost there. Right. But it's after when Superman gets there. But Yeah, go ahead. Right, so, McTavish can't talk, but he, I, I guess whoever's in this costume uh, can, seems to, he can act a little bit. He goes, I could sworn when Lois called him an it. He looked at it like he was upset. Yes, yes. And uh, there was another time where, uh, in the same scene where somebody said something and he responded to it. I mean, he didn't reply verbally. Right. But his body language said he heard and understood what they just said. So really, uh, what the microphone does then is uh, 
uh, only translate orders. If he hears orders coming in the voice of Pepperwinkle, he'll do them. Yeah, you can insult him without the microphone, and he'll understand that. But he'll understand he, that. he won't give you any. If you give him orders without the microphone, he won't listen. Exactly. There you go. Bad. And he doesn't read, but he looks at the pictures. But he can play a hell of a piano. Uh, player piano. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get to that. Yes. So uh, Lois, Lois demonstrates the uh, the microphone by telling him to crush a meteor, and he does. So he already listens better than a dog. So. <laughs> Yeah, and, probably uh, won't pee on carpet either. Probably not, but he might. I don't know. What's he, what's he, oil. What's he lubricated with? Yeah. So, Mrs. While, while Clark is trying to work on something that's seemingly important, Mrs. Taylor calls the planet again. She's even more upset now, and uh, you know she's gonna. She wants an order of Superman. You know she's calling in. Uh, you know she's ordering Superman over. You know, kind of the same way you'd order uh, a pizza or something. Well, I guess it's just become well-known in Metropolis. You want Superman, you call Clark Kent at the Daily Planet. You know, I commented I commented on that in both the Prince Albert coat and the Stolen Elephant, that apparently this is so well-known that even, right. the, even these kids know. Even the kids know. If you want Superman, get in touch with Clark Kent at the Daily Planet. There must be billboards. Well, yeah. Or it just means that, you know... Nine out of ten stories that Clark Kent writes on the front page of the Daily Planet are about Superman. Apparently, that's uh, all he can do is write stories about Superman, well, which brings up all out. kinds of conflicts of interest, wouldn't you think? Yeah, only only if somebody finds out. True, but still. But Superman never lies, unless he does. He doesn't lie except for when he does. That's Except for when he does. You're not supposed to think about that. I don't think about that. I'm not. I wouldn't dare. So, you know, and if you look, so then when he, when they're in uh, the Pepper, in Pepperwinkle's house, if you look carefully before the camera zooms in, you can kind of see Ben Weldon's face over Lois' shoulder. Mm-hmm. Peeping in the window outside. Right. That would be clever camera work if they, if they don't zoom in on his face right after that. Right. You know, but, you know, the kids But show. they had to make it obvious to the kids. Right. Small screen, even though we're looking color now, remember, these were still being broadcast in black and white. So, got to make it obvious. Might have been hard to see on a small screen. Yeah. I think they'd have done the same thing today. I think they would have done the exact same shot today. Just to make sure everybody saw him at that window over her shoulder. After the main scene, they're going to zoom in on his face. Right. So, here comes Superman. He's going he's to go check out what's going on. and. I've often asked how you know when Superman's coming into an ally's home. He comes in through the door. Comes in through the door. He only breaks the criminal's windows. And he didn't even knock. Well, he and he opened it, and he opened it dramatically, like he does when he goes into the cloakroom or the storeroom, storage room to change. Well, Superman does not merely walk through the door. No, he does not. He enters a room. Yes, and he, whether he's jumping in through a window or or opening a door and walking, it's done. It's it's done with bravado. He right. opened the door. He comes in. He turns, makes the cape swirl as he closes the door. Then quickly comes over and go. oh, wait, ow, what is that? Yeah, then he, then he quickly starts to feel a little queasy. Ow, this doesn't feel good. I don't want to be here now. Quick, get me out of here. And he was quite amused by by the sight of Mr. McTavish until he uh, started feeling weak. Right, right. And that changed pretty quickly, too. Nice little smile, little, Yeah. oh, wait, whoa, wait a minute. Dizzy, ouch, get me out of here. Right, yeah, they do. Do you think at this point he knows what... What Mr. McTavish has got on him? He must recognize the symptoms of kryptonite by now. I would think that, yeah, he recognized but didn't know quite 
maybe where it was coming from or whatever. It was something in the room. Right. I don't know that that even Superman put it together at being McTavish at this point. But he must have at least put uh, together that it was kryptonite and just definitely. didn't say anything. Right. No, he was going to lo- wait for Lois and Jimmy to tell him the whole story back at the planet. Uh, but no, he got out of there. But this is an interesting scene. Right out here, now Superman flies off, and Jimmy's first thing is, wow, I never thought it would happen. Superman's losing his powers. He, he goes right to the worst case scenario. Yeah, I mean, what is that? What's that all about? I mean, he's been in the main stories with Kryptonite right. so far. Jimmy has known about Kryptonite on all levels of it. You know, that's like saying somebody threw up, they must have cancer. Exactly. He, he jumped to the worst conclusion right. possible. Lois is the one that says, nope, 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 back inside for the interview and realize through the, the talking to Pepperwinkle that uh, he used kryptonite or must have used right, kryptonite. Right, but he didn't know what it was. Right. Which I, you know, I had to scratch my head in that too and think, does the professor not know about kryptonite? It's, I mean, he definitely not, knows about it in all the glitters. It's yes, and that, and he learns about it here. Well, so that's what must have. I thought this through a little bit. Okay. Unlike the comics of the time, in the show, kryptonite was the effects of kryptonite were not well known. Right. Lois Lane wasn't doing a feature story on all the different kinds of kryptonite. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> With Jimmy giving the pictures to right. show the difference. Right. Right. So you know, only a handful of people really knew about it. Okay, I can buy that. And the three, the most recent criminals that found out died when their car exploded as they crashed. Right. And uh, Cy Horton from Superman Week thinks it doesn't affect him because Superman pulled that dupe on him. Exactly. So you're, okay, I'll buy that. that the, but either way, nothing about kryptonite was published in the planet. That's true. So the knowledge of kryptonite is not generally known. It's pretty well guarded, actually. Exactly. Uh, which... Now, at least one professor, granted an absent-minded one, uh, now Lois just told him the entire story of kryptonite. Right, and right, and he now he knows it, so that way, when, you remember, all the kryptonite stuff and all that glitters was a dream. That's true. But then at the, at the end, Jimmy... Spoilers! Does, spoilers, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm guessing that most of the people who are listening to this know the show. You would think. Spoiler. I don't know. Spoiler. I don't know. Some, you never know. Well, spoiler for us. They might be listening to us to see if it's worth going back and watching. It, it, it's worth it. Whether you, it's worth it. It's worth I'll it. Put that it out, I'm going to put that out there right now. But, you know, okay, fine. Spoilers for, yeah. Uh, for yeah. a 59-year-old show. Yeah, exactly. But, and yeah. especially as cheap as they are now. You should right. have the entire series, yeah. But the, when Jimmy comes out of the dream, when he says the, the kryptonite that uh, the professor invented, and then he, he says he didn't know any kryptonite. He doesn't have that, oh, what's kryptonite moment. Right. Because he, exactly. he learns about it here. He learns about it here. So he did not know about it previously. Previous to this. And that makes sense. Even back, uh, you know, to topsy-turvy and there was no kryptonite was no involved crypt- in that. There was a lot of weirdness, but no kryptonite. <clears throat> right. Okay. I'll go with that. I agree with you. Kryptonite is not as well known. Only an inner circle and a couple of mobsters who now don't even believe it's real. Right. Okay. Good. You win. Kryptonite. You get a baldy for that. Or a piece of fake kryptonite, one of the two. Or a piece of fake kryptonite. Well, he, he did, so apparently kryptonite powers this robot. Yeah, cool. Metallo. Yeah, who who didn't hit the stands until about two years later. Right. But here's Metallo right here, right now, but not quite. No. <laughs> it was a robot with kryptonite in his tummy. Yeah, you know, but you know what? Someone from the comics could have remembered this concept. Mort Weisinger. Right. Mort Weisinger was a story editor on the show. Yes, he was. He was a story editor on the show. 
he was the one that put Whitney Ellsworth in uh, in position as producer. So, so, so it's, yes, they were tied very closely to the comic books at this point. So it's possible they borrowed, they revisited that idea and actually comic do with it too. <laughs> yeah, boy. So, uh, <clears throat> so through this whole incident with Superman and, and Mr. McTavish, Ben Weldon is watching through the windows. Actually, his name is Blade, but I'm about to point out just call him Ben Weldon. <laughs> <laughs> right. I always call him Louie. Right. <laughs> I like Louie. Yeah. But just a great, 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 great character actor. I love this guy a lot. So I'm watching this scene of the long-armed scientist uh, t- telling Duke about his balloon here. Right. And I was just waiting for the moment when Blade comes in excitedly telling the boss what was going to happen. And true to form, that's what he did. Yep. And true to form. Shut up. Yeah. Not important what you're doing. What we're doing is more important. Yeah, but what I know will help you with that. Yeah, okay, well, but we have to yell about it over here first, and then you can come in. Right, exactly. And uh, I've lost track of how many times the scientist has said his bomb is experimental. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. how about every time? Which is code for don't blame me if it doesn't work. Exactly. Well, I love the concept that uh, once it's put in the box, it makes contact basically with the box. And that's what makes it viable to explode and the timing thing, that's kind of a guess. It could be any time. So what? Then why why don't then why is there even a clock on it? So clearly you, you didn't have a clock on this one. That was a second season episode. Right. And so clearly you get a clunky robot to uh, assemble it. Of course. Alright, so now back at the planet, Lois is giving Clark the info on Mr. McTavish, but Clark doesn't really seem to care. Mm. And uh you know, all he really needs to do is stay away from the robot. Yeah. Not interested. So it's very interesting. Lois and Jimmy get quite angry at Clark for not caring. Now, wait a minute, Lois. You say when Superman came in, he acted very strangely. You should have seen him, Mr. Kent. If he'd gotten any closer, I don't know what would have happened. We finally figured it out, Clark. The professor put kryptonite on Mr. McTavish. We thought you'd know what to do. We'll hold down the office, Clark. You better go out and meet that McTavish for yourself. Well, I'd like to, Lois. I really would. But I, I can't very well. You see, I'm still working on this munition thing. And, well, there's several new thoughts have just come to me. And I need well, to work that's a fine thing. After all, Superman's done for you, and you won't even try to protect him. Now, wait a minute. I don't want anything to happen to Superman, believe me. But this story's important, too, you know. Clark, I think you're afraid of something. Mr. McTavish won't hurt you, Mr. Kent. But I think you're both imagining things. Let's get back to work, huh? Well, I'm not going to let Superman down, even if you are. And just where do you think you're going? Back to see the professor. What good will that do? I don't know, but somehow that kryptonite has got to be destroyed. Ah, now that's a good idea, Lois. A very good idea indeed. I'm sure Superman would be very grateful. And I have a good mind to tell him how you've acted about this whole thing. Yeah, and Jimmy even carries that right to the yeah. to the uh, we'll see yeah later. the point where he need, yeah where he needs to be a little more open with Clark. But we're gonna come. We're gonna revisit that. Revisit this later. Yeah. So in the next scene, where I guess we're to believe that McTavish is playing the piano here. He's playing, you know, like an old Scott Joplin ragtime piano. Right. Very standard piano roll type. Yeah, those keys are piano. moving, but his hands are nowhere near them. Yeah, yeah. Did they have self-playing pianos back then? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a very old, very old form of home entertainment, actually, right. is player pianos. Uh, you could have crank, uh, some of them literally like an old-timey car, a crank on the side that one person would crank, and it would play the roll through there, and others right. would be the pedals on the floor where you just pedaled them. They eventually uh, became electric, but uh, thanks to uh, Edison, I guess. Right. So, you know, in this scene, though, with 
the piano music going and uh, Pepperwinkle and Lois over at the table. Mm-hmm. I don't know, just with the music and them talking, I just got like, for a minute there, I got like an old West saloon type of feeling. Yeah, the the music, you get that, you get that uh, bar room sound. Right. That's what you feel, yeah. Pepperwinkle doesn't want to put down his uh, pet robot. And he, you know, with good reason. Yeah, it's his friend. Yeah, it hurt anybody. Except Superman. Well, then just don't come around. Yeah, that's a good way to keep Superman out of your house. <laughs> except for except for when you need him as the criminals come in and they who want the robot and run off at Lois. Yeah. Steal the robot. And here is a scene now where the guys come in to steal the robot, right? Right. Okay, that's where we are, where, where the three gangsters come in. And they're wearing masks. Yes. And we rarely see, except for like the lead They're wearing like Old West episode. style masks. Old West style, but, you know, kind of covering the eyes, too. It's really kind of cool. They've got masks on, right? But Ben says to the boss, I'll get him, Duke. You just told Lois who you are, that you're ace criminal Duke bad guy. Yes. They know his name now. Well, Ben is stupid. Ben yeah. doesn't so, play the swiftest of characters. No, so Ben lets it out. And how many guys named Duke have we seen? How many? We've seen a bunch of guys named Duke at this point. Yeah, lots. All of them. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, that's funny, though. And then they they say, oh, we can leave the professor here because, well, we don't need him. Yes, you do need him. But anyway, that's crazy. You should have taken them both. Yeah, you should have. And, uh, well. They take Lois and McTavish, leaving the good professor. To call the police. No, 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 no. The FBI. No, no, no. The division of... No, 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 no. Clark Kent at the Daily Planet. Well, no, he called Jimmy. Oh, that's right! Clark answers, and he wanted to talk to Jimmy. Which which brings me to my next question. Why yeah. does Jimmy get phone calls in Clark's office? Yeah. Unless you called the Daily Planet, the switch, which has all happened off screen, the switchboard, and he asks Jim Olsen... And the switchboard operator knew that Jim was with Clark in Clark's office instead of the city room, where right. all of the other reporters are. Right. Well, she knows that, that Jim, Jim hasn't been at his desk in months. Right. And does he even have a desk? He's always in Clark or Lois's office. But yeah, you're right. The, the phone call comes in, and uh, Clark is worried, thinking it might be Lois. I half thought he was going to answer the phone. Lois? Right. But yeah, he goes, I, I thought so, too. But he didn't. He answers the phone a little nervously and then just flubs his own little bit of a line there. Right. Stumbles a little bit over saying Clark Kent. And uh, then he goes, oh, it's for you. And then Jimmy does. Uh, well, yeah, but very, you know what? In Clark's defense, uh, I stumble over my telephone greeting or two sometimes. Yeah, yeah, all the time. But but I think it was interesting, too, there that, that now we give Jimmy the chance to be snarky to Clark. Because yeah, now but- Jimmy knows that Lois and the robot. <laughs> I'm going to start saying that all the time, <laughs> but <laughs> um, have been taken. And Jimmy knows now there's really only one way to get to Superman, and that's to tell Clark. But Jimmy does the, oh, never you yeah. mind, I'll find him myself. Very subtle snark for those of us who needn't be concerned. <laughs> right. Right. Because so he won't to... quite look Clark in the eye when he's doing that. No, I'm surprised they either one of them got through this little scene because. Jack is just doing such a funny job right. here. This is so much fun. Well, maybe it took a few times. We don't know. Yeah, who knows? But it seems like a one take. It seems like they were just moving in and doing it and out. And it seemed like uh, Jack Larson was having a real blast doing this little bit here. Because eventually he does get up some more some more uh, energy and, and then kind of almost yells at Clark. No, yeah, I get, almost. no, I got it. 
Yeah. But then once Clark, of course, knows what's happening, I'll find Superman. You stay here, young man, in case someone calls. Right. Then, as soon as Clark stands up, Jimmy's a little boy again. Right. Exactly. Especially when Clark says, okay, now I will go. I've already started plans for finding Superman. Oh, great. I'll go with you. Right. And I love how Larson just changes Jimmy's mood. Yeah. Right away. In that instant. Yeah. Right then. He's going from Starkey to exuberant. Yeah. It's such a good little piece. You know, there's just no wonder that that kids absolutely bought this whole bit. You know, hook, line, and sinker. These guys... You know, they're doing it. They're really doing it in the moment. They're doing the acting. They're doing their jobs. Yeah, yeah. And I believe this is one of the first times Clark has gotten angry at Jimmy. Uh, Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think he might have done this once or twice. Well, I'm trying to think exactly when, though. But, yeah, this time he turns around and pretty much says, you stay right there, young man. Yeah. Right. He's very good. And it's he great uh, didn't have his hat again. Walking to the storeroom, he looked he was dressed exactly the same way he was in the office when he got to the storeroom to change. I think at some point they just, you know, 86 the hat. Yeah, he hasn't had the hat in quite a while. Right. Particularly around the office scenes. Right. And uh, he wasn't with Henderson this time, but no, I think even in the next episode, we don't see either one of them. Even in the Henderson bits, we don't see them with hats. Well, we don't, see a, we don't see a ton of Clark in the next uh, that's episode. True. That's true. That's true. And what we do, he's sitting at his desk, so. Right. He never has the hat on there. Exactly. Right, so, next scene, apparently the robot can drive. The robot can do practically everything a human can do well, except read. Or speak, apparently. Or speak. So, next. That would have been funny at the end if it, when he brought the cake in or something, and it said, you're welcome. <laughs> so, Superman goes to rescue Professor Pepperwinkle, and this is a rather hilarious exchange between Superman and Pepperwinkle. Yes. As uh, they eventually get to the Geiger counter, Superman's going to fly it all over the city. Press like, nope, too fast. And uh, Superman quickly dismisses the just drive around the city in the car uh, option until he decides to, well, that's the only way. Yep. That was a quick change, Andy, because it was so serious, too. It was, oh, that could take a long time. But that's the only thing we got! Yay, let's go! <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny. So McTavish gets taken to that little shed, you know, the little cabin that all the criminals in this show use. And McTavish is going to uh, put the bomb together, as the uh, criminals have already camped out in their little apartment in the city. Way to go, McTavish. Right. And Lois is right there. Yeah, well, she's tied up, so she uh, she can't come, she can't help at the moment. And I love the fact that they're using modern technology, a remote television transmitter, so cameras, so they can watch McTavish assemble the bomb on a television screen. Yeah, Duke will have something to say about that when they get caught. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as McTavish is putting the bomb together, Superman comes into the room and he's just about to get to Lois and <laughs> he's yeah. down. Yeah, he's down. George does a good fall. He does, and you know he doesn't just fall and stay there. He falls, does the dramatic rollover. So of course the, the S is pointed straight up. My wife noticed really for the first time. For, I think was pretty interesting. You know, we've seen these things so many, many times over the years. But for some reason, more in the next episode, there was a scene where he's walking away from the camera, Superman is, and it just dawned on her how low he wears his cape in the back. She kind of noticed that for the first time. <laughs> well, you mean the uh, the gap? Yeah, the big, long, how low, yeah, the, the big blue you can see, you know. That did get started to get a little ridiculous toward the end of the show. Yeah, it gets really low. Yeah. It's a lot lower now than it was in the first two seasons, right. three seasons. Yeah. And from seeing some shots in the front, you can't even tell he has a cape on by looking at his cape on. 
You, no. Nah. But when I was a little kid, this yeah. is how I wore my cape. Exactly. And even on the Superman pajamas I had a kid, they had the little uh, Velcro on the back. So even then, I, you couldn't tell that I was wearing a cape either. Oh, uh, right. Right. Velcro. So now, uh, after Superman is down, Professor Pepperwinkle is going to come in the room and pretty much save the day. Yay! As he and the Duke are going to play uh, a little game of Tugga McTavish. Right. And honestly, they could have they could have played this game of back away, go forward. <laughs> this this kind of thing could have gone on all day. It, it didn't. <laughs> it felt like it did. Yeah, but I thought they did a good job with it overall. Yeah. It was fun. You know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It took it took as long as it needed to. Yeah, I was thinking it's it, funny. It, it didn't Lois go on too long. I thought Lois was about to say, oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> no, she, well, she could say that all she wants. She didn't have a microphone to help. She so. didn't have the microphone, right? So funny. <laughs> that, you know, that's what, from when, I, from when I remember seeing this episode years ago, that's the only thing I remembered. That's what I remembered most about this episode. The what, back, McTavish? The back and forth. The, oh, the back and forth? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, these are the things that stand out. Yeah. Go forward. I think, I think the balloon bomb stood out to me, too. I always thought, how do you control that? I don't get that. There's no propellers. There's no mechanism. It's just a balloon. You can't direct a balloon somewhere without some sort of propeller. This guy is clearly the leading scientist for North Korea. Yeah. Duck and cover. <laughs> Which is what he was doing. Yeah, boy. Because eventually Superman does get back there with that bomb. and uh, But we'll get to that. Yeah. Superman gets away and uh, Pepperwinkle frees Lois. And the bomb is on its way to the Daily Planet building. Which, where Jimmy thinks it's a floating advertisement. <laughs> What will those ad guys think of now? Why would they send you the ad, Jimmy? Well, they weren't. It was, it was sent to Clark's office. Yeah, why would they send Clark the ad, Jimmy? Why would they spend all that money to send a balloon to one person's office? Singular advertising. Was Clark going to write a story? Mysterious balloon advertising Skippy D sandwiches. Well, Yay! You know what? If you get it personally sent to you by balloon, you're going to remember it. Yeah, but are you going to write a story about it? Are you going to make the advertising worth the money and expense of a balloon that can actually navigate? How much does the science cost just to get a balloon that can be directed without any form of propellant? Have, it's, you, seen, it's, have, have you seen the kind of things advertising people waste their money on? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I used to be in advertising. I wasted people's money before. <laughs> Not really. I was really good. I would, would never do that. I never lied. Well, you were just doing what they wanted. If they wanted to waste their money, who are you to argue? Exactly. So, and then now, at this point, we get the second uh, flying scene that was filmed for this season. Yay! <laughs> this one looks a little bit better than the one uh, in the uh, the last night because that suit of armor did not look very aerodynamic when it flew. No, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I missed that one too. The last night. Wow. And they had a shoot of flying scene for that. A couple of flying scenes. They had to shoot. Yeah, a couple of different flying scenes for George in the costume. But anyway, this one, you're talking about now the, the, the flying scene where Superman finally... He's flying uh, with the briefcase. With the briefcase. This isn't before while it's exploded yet. No, no, he's flying it to the criminal's hideout. And this is a hilarious scene as he shows up with the bomb and... Uh, yeah, yeah. A little bit of the Golden Age Superman here. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm Superman. Bomb could blow up and it won't hurt me. But you guys... Kabooey! And these guys just fall over themselves and each other. This, this, to this is a Three Stooges moment right yeah. here. You've got Larry, Moe, and Curly, all three of them right here, trying to write their admittance. What do you call that? Their confession. Right. On a piece of paper. And it's a tiny sheet of paper. Yeah, a tiny sheet. 
I think they all just put their name on it. Right. They didn't actually admit to doing anything. They just signed it and gave it back. And uh, then Superman comes to another flying scene where uh, it's probably just part of the same flying scene. Right, yeah. Where, But this time all the way through where the, the briefcase explodes. And it was a nice little animation here with uh, where the thing explodes and his hands are now free. Yes, yes. It looked much more seamless than this would have looked in season one. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I think they did a good job, too. That little animation did a, did a good job of... Covering him dropping the briefcase. Well, cover, <laughs> covering the change in the shot, at least. Right, exactly. Um, or dropping the briefcase, yeah. Right. Uh, actually, I think it was done even a little better than the flying scene of him in, in Exile, when fly, after, after flying through the lightning, because that was a traditional hit uh, right. flying scene that they added the animated lightning to. But when he is flying and looks at his hands to see if he's no longer contaminated. Right. Oh, that was a super close-up. That was a real super close-up. They could have just laid him on a table for that. Yeah, exactly. But I'll bet they put him up in the harness. Uh, I mean, on the table, not in the harness. but In in the 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 pan. pan. Yeah, in the pan for that, too. Uh, It's hard to to go back and look at it again. But, but, uh, uh, you know, it's amazing. You think we talk about everything we can think of during the episode. And here we are, you know three seasons later and we're still going, I wonder if he was on the pan or not for that. I, I did notice though you see this flying scene in this episode, George is starting to look a little chunky. Yeah, he's looking chunky and there was a close up and we'll get to it in the next episode where uh it looks like lunch may have gone a little longer for he and Bill Henderson. Right. A little bit of a bloodshot eyes. But you see his jowls, his face when he delivers his dialogue, his under chin wiggles and I mean, he looks like a 45-year-old man. Yeah. Well, you know? In these last few episodes, not so yeah. much in the in the first episodes of this season, but George no. is starting to... to it's well war on him. I think this season really... Yeah, I think this season particularly really started to wear on him. But like uh, Maybe I wonder if they dyed his hair at the beginning of the season and then it just started coming out toward the end. I don't know, because yeah. I had heard he he they dyed it for each episode. That or you know it was every morning it was part of his makeup routine was to dye his hair and then wash it out at the end of the shooting day. I, won't, I, I wonder if they just I don't know they just didn't work as hard on it because you can see it, it gets to a point where the sides of his head start to look gray. Yeah, it's got gray temples and and uh, brownish hair. It doesn't look the, like the dark black. But in this episode, it's obviously um, his hair has been dyed. Right. In this episode. And in the next one. But, uh, yeah, interesting. All right. So, all's well that ends well, I guess. <laughs> yeah. The professor took the kryptonite out of Mr. McTavish. He's lost his super strength, but he is still the professor's friend. Mm-hmm. Would have been a real nice touch if he had come back in all the glitters. Right. If the, if the robot had been, like, in the corner or something, or just been in there. But, right. again, you're right. That was a dream. Well, not, no, they, act, they actually did go to Professor. They did place. go to the Professor. Yeah, yes. the gold maker. Yes, it was him getting hit on the head that created. Okay, yeah. Spoilers. We'll get there. Gah, jump ahead so much. Now you're, <laughs> you're, you're excited. Yes. <laughs> that must be it. It must be. But you know what? This is. This was a funny episode. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Can I? Um, uh, I hope you like it. It was a fun episode yeah. to watch. I this time I enjoyed watching this episode more than I remembered enjoying it. Oh, good, good. Because I've always liked it. It's it's always been one of my you know sentimental favorites. It's not a it's not you know you know what I'm saying. It's not classic. It's not great. It's no. not wow you know. 
but it is just a really good, solid character piece. All the characters are in place. They do their job. Um, and right up to the very end, the main characters sell it. They're, they are their characters. They, they sell this thing. And even right into the last scene here with them eating and, and McTavish bringing in the, I guess that's a big chocolate cake he's bringing in at the yeah, end. I think so. Uh, it's still a good scene. Good scene of them all sitting around. But even the placement, Lois and Jimmy on one side of the table, Professor Pepperwinkle at the head of the table, right. Clark on the other side by himself. You know, it just sets them all up like, like they're supposed to be. Everything right. is like it is. No Perry in this episode. Not much. Wait a minute. Was he at all? No. There was no Perry White in this episode. No Perry White. You're right. There was no Perry White. I just went back to the beginning trying to think, didn't that first call come in? And no, it wasn't Perry at all. It was all Clark and uh, Jimmy in the office. Well, we're going to see Perry in the next episode. In the next episode. You bet. Got a couple of good lines in the next one. He's got a few. So why don't we take a quick break? We'll play a promo. And and then we'll see how much trouble we can get into with Superman's wife. (laughs) (laughs) Hang around, folks. Carl, you have traveled far. One journey has ended. A new journey is about to begin. Hey, everybody. Magnus here. I do a podcast called Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. What I do is spend six episodes talking about comics, movies, and TV shows. But all that stuff gets put on hold every eighth episode so that I can talk about Smallville. Smallville's the most underrated live-action adaptation of Superman in all of history. Smallville's my favorite version of Superman apart from the comics, and so every eighth episode I put Smallville under a microscope. Listeners all around the world have been shocked to discover just how awesome Smallville truly is and just how well it holds up to critical scrutiny. I've recently finished what most people regard as Smallville's first run with the conclusion of the mighty third season of the show. But as awesome as Smallville may have been up to this point, the best is still to come. And I want you along for the ride. This is Magnus Talks About Smallville, an eighth episode feature of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. Now with fewer cigarette breaks. So check out Magnus Talks About Smallville every eighth Tuesday for all the Smallville small talk you could ever hope to shake a stick at. Magnus Talks About Smallville every eighth Tuesday only at Two True Freaks. Dot com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into Superman's Wife. The original broadcast date was March 31st, 1958. Writers were Robert Leslie Bellum and Whitney. Director was Lou Landers. Guest cast included Joy Lansing as Sergeant uh, Helen J. O'Hara. John Eldridge was Mr. X. John Bennis as Dugan. Harry Arney as Blinky. As Blinky Evans. Although Whoa, name, Blinky. With a first name like Blinky. I don't know why you need a last name. <laughs> really? And Wayne Heffley as Duke Barlow. And now for our synopsis brought to you by SupermanHomepage.com. The largest Superman website in the world. Yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> and it wasn't even thought of when this episode came out. No, it wasn't. Nobody even knew what a website was. No, they didn't. Or a BBS, or text, or a cell phone. But Perry White had a car phone. He did. All right. Duke Barlow has been apprehended by Superman. He and Whitey Carell were caught robbing the Fifth National Bank. Both men are part of a gang responsible for a major crime wave in Metropolis. The leader of the organization is unknown to everyone, even those pulling the jobs. According to Barlow, who is attached to a lie detector, the leader planning everything is only called Mr. X. Even Police Inspector Bill Henderson's best officer, Sergeant Helen J. O'Hara, is baffled by this case. Inspector, you're never going to clean up this crime syndicate until you find out who that head man is. Yeah, you can say that again. But how can we catch him when his own mobsters don't even know who he is? Mr. X. And there must be some way to learn his true identity. Yeah, we've been working on it. I've had the whole department working day and night, getting nowhere. Not even a clue? Not even a hint. Send Sergeant O'Hara in. Oh, one of the detectives working on your case? Yes, and one of the best on the force, and just as baffled as the rest of us. And when O'Hara's baffled, that's really something. You sent for me, Inspector? Yes. I want you to meet Superman. Superman, this is Sergeant O'Hara. Well, I'm glad to know you, sir. It's my pleasure, Sergeant. Inspector Henderson tells me you've been working on the case of Mr. X. Yes, without much luck, I'm afraid. I've even been trying to get inside his organization, but I haven't been able to figure out a way yet. I see. Sergeant O'Hara, will you marry me? What? Why, I'd be delighted. And in spite of the news hitting her hard, Lois Lane has written an exclusive article on Superman's surprise wedding to Helen O'Hara for the Daily Planet. Talk about adding insult to injury. Really? <laughs> in an exclusive interview with Lois Lane, Daily Planet reporter, Superman revealed his surprise marriage last night to Miss Helen J. O'Hara of this city. The newly wedded couple will reside at the bride's apartment on the 18th floor of the Bearsford Arms. Golly, this will be the first time anybody will know where Superman lives. What of it? Well, I, I mean, uh, if we keep the Beresford Arms under surveillance, surveillance, if we keep an eye on the Beresford Arms, we'll find out who Superman is. Don't be ridiculous, Olson. Obviously, he isn't going to go in and out through the lobby. He'd use the window. Besides, aren't the bride and groom entitled to a little privacy? Why, of course they are. And incidentally, Miss Lane, you told the story of Superman's marriage very well indeed. Thank you, Mr. White. At least he did me the courtesy of giving me the exclusive instead of Clark Kent. Golly, and you're sure are lucky, Miss Lane. It's the scoop of the year. Yeah, I'm sure lucky, all right. Why aren't you out working? Well, I don't have any work to do. Well, go out and find something. Yes, sir. Yes, right away. I've always known how you felt about Superman, Miss Lane. I guess his marriage hit you pretty hard. This information has even reached Mr. X, who read it in the newspaper. But it shouldn't be that much of a surprise that it reached Mr. X, <laughs> <laughs> who has captured Helen. We didn't have a bit of trouble grabbing her, boss. Yeah, that story in the Daily Planet told us where she lived, and the rest was easy. I was sure it would be. What's the meaning of this? Why should these men take me out of my apartment and bring me here against my will? My dear Mrs. Superman, Shall we say that I had an impulse to have you here as my guest? And when I have an impulse, I never fail to gratify it. So, welcome to my headquarters. Headquarters? Who are you? 
My associates call me Mr. X. You must be the man the newspapers are talking about. The head of the crime syndicate. Yes. Now, if you'll excuse me while I make a telephone call. You can't hold me prisoner here. You'll never get away with it. When my husband hears about this, he'll... Oh, he'll hear about it. I'm calling a friend of his right now to make sure that he does. But he won't do anything about it. This is one time that Superman is going to find himself quite powerless. Hello? Daily Planet? Connect me with Clark Kent. Hello. This is Kent speaking. What did you just say? I said this was Mr. X speaking. My organization is holding Mrs. Superman as hostage. Will you contact him and give him this message? Unless he stops interfering with our activities, he'll never see his wife again. Will you tell him that? You bet your life I'll tell him. And when I do, you better duck for cover. He'll come over there and tear your place down brick by brick. Oh, no, no, he won't. In the first place, he doesn't know where we are. In the second place, one wrong move and Mrs. Superman's health will suffer very severely indeed. He wouldn't dare harm Mrs. Superman. Oh, no. I wouldn't bet on that if I were you. Hello? Hello? Oddly enough, Clark Kent is smiling after his conversation with Mr. X. And he, and he may not have time much for his unusual celebration for the mysterious gangster, as called Planet Editor Perry White. A bathysphere has been parked at Pier 96 at Metropolis Harbor. That area has not been used in two or three years, and Mr. X has made White, Lois, Lane, and Jimmy Olsen believe that there is a story in that. More on that later. In reality, Mr. X's henchman, Blinky Evans, has placed a television camera in that location. It will send signals to the criminal mastermind. The images it captures could spell doom for Lois. Jimmy and Perry have gone to check things out. Worked better than I thought. What do you mean? He not only sent the two reporters to Pier 96, he went there himself. Now we'll start the third step of my plan. Hey, look, boss. That Olsen punk. You don't want to get in the thing. Don't worry, he'll get in. Newspaper men are noted for their curiosity. Though it is empty, Perry, Lois, and Jimmy have entered the bathysphere. As Mr. Rex witnesses this on television, he once again calls Clark to warn him of the danger to his friends. Superman arrives at Pier 96 to enter the diving belt to get the editor and reporters out of it. Suddenly, Mr. Rex lowers the apparatus via a remote control system. The chamber sinks fast into the harbor's murky depths. Even Superman cannot escape. Isn't there anything you can do? Well, Miss Lane, I could break out of here and swim to the surface, but... Then why don't you? We'll swim up with you. Not at this depth, Jimmy. The water pressure would crush you in an instant. You mean we're stuck here? I'm afraid so, Miss Lane, for the present. Blinky should be back from the pier at any minute. You come help me with the dynamite. You, uh, gonna leave her here alone? She won't escape. As you can see, the windows are barred. The door has an excellent lock. Just make yourself at home. Can you hear me? I may not have much time. Is that your wife? Mr. X and his crime syndicate are planning the biggest robbery they ever pulled. There's an armored truck taking $3 million in currency to the Federal Reserve Bank. It's coming by a back road, but Mr. X knows the route and the schedule. 
When it crosses the old wooden bridge over Southport Ravine at 3 o'clock, they're going to blow up the bridge. The truck will fall in the ravine and burst open. The gang will grab the cash and make a getaway. Superman, this is Sergeant O'Hara. Mr. X and his crime syndicate are planning the biggest... She called herself Sergeant O'Hara. Yes, I heard. So, you're a policewoman. Yes, and I'm pretty proud of it, too. She was cut off. They probably caught her giving me the message. But she'd already given it. Why do you suppose she started all over again? Because she wanted them to think that she hadn't had time to give me the message. That she was just beginning to talk. Lucky we caught you before you had a chance to tell Superman our plans. Not that it matters now. Superman, this is Mr. X. Too bad your wife turned out to be a policewoman. I'm afraid she's about to retire from the force. Permanently. As for you and your companions, I regret to inform you that I've decided to let you stay at the bottom of the harbor from now on. That means we're doomed. Jeepers. It's the biggest story we've ever had. And we'll never get into the paper. It's now 2.45 p.m. Having brought Mrs. Superman with them, Mr. X and his gang are preparing the dynamite to blow up Southport Bridge when an armored truck arrives. Miss Lane's right, Superman. No matter what happens to us, you've got to get out of here. It's a quarter of three now. They're going to blow up that bridge in 15 minutes. I know. I know. If there's only some way to stop them without sacrificing all your lives. If you were only on the outside, you could just lift the bathysphere up to the surface. Lift it? That's it. Jimmy, you've just given me an idea. Now, that plate holds the cable to the top of the sphere. If I can pull the plate off and get hold of the cable, I can pull us up. Of course, a little water may come in, but... I don't think it'll be dangerous. Let's try. Our hero will have to work fast. The explosives have been placed on the Southport Bridge. In addition to that, Helen is also tied to the structure. Once everything blows up, it'll be curtains for Sergeant O'Hara as Mr. X gets away with $3 million. The diving bell has reached the surface. Lois, Perry, and Jimmy are now safe. Open the door and step out in the pier. Come on, Budge! Stand back, please. I can't, Miss Lane. If I release this cable, the sphere will go to the bottom. But you can't stay there. I realize it. Now, please go. What are you going to do? Eventually, after you get out of here, I'm going to let go of this cable and the sphere will sink. Then I'll swim to the surface. Now, will you kindly get out of here? Superman has let go of the diving bell's cable, forcing it back to the bottom of the harbor. This time, however, Superman can swim back to the pier without harming anyone. As the fuse for the dynamite is lit by Blinky, Superman moves at top speed to warn the armored truck driver to take another route. Seconds later, he rescues Helen. Mr. X, in the meantime, has heard the bridge explode. He's eager to get his hands on the three million dollars. The villain gets the surprise of his life when he sees Superman blocking his path. Now let's go collect our three million dollars. Superman! I'm sorry to disappoint you, gentlemen. The only place you're going is to jail. Hey, what'd you say? Superman! Shoot him, you clown! Shoot him! <laughs> I give up. It's the first wise decision you've made today. Sergeant O'Hara is now in Perry White's office, office explaining everything to the editor. So you see, Superman and I weren't really married at all. He figured that if Mr. X thought we were married, he'd try to get at Superman through me. He figured right, and it almost cost you your life. That's my job, Mr. White. And I had to get inside the gang. You're a brave man, O'Hara. Golly, 
Now that you're not married to Superman, uh, I might ask you to marry me. If uh, I were the Marian kind. Oh, thank you. Thanks a lot, Jimmy. But I think I'll just wait around for Superman to ask me again. For real. Well, I feel I must warn you. You've got competition. Well, Jimmy, it looks like ordinary fellows like you and I don't have a chance anymore. These young ladies don't seem to think there's anyone in the world but Superman. Well, is there? <laughs> The end. That's right. So what do you think of this one? Oh, I love this episode on so many levels. So many levels. It's such uh, a good episode. How many of those levels is Joy Lansing on? Uh, most of them. <laughs> With as Sergeant Hubba Hubba, Sergeant Vavavoom, Sergeant Helen O'Hara. That is just one of the best scenes ever, anywhere, of, of uh, her entrance. Is just terrific. Mean, uh, everything mean, about it. You mean when she walks right off a pinup poster and into uh, right and off a pinup poster? Yes. And into Inspector Henderson's office. Yes, exactly. And pauses as the door opens, does a little, you know, a, a pinup stance. It's it's just perfect. It's just so great. And Joy Lansing is just playing it for all it's worth. She's just so so much fun in this. And I've, uh, I've seen a lot of cops in in the movies and on TV. I've never seen one that looked like that. Never. Never, 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 ever anywhere. Uh, or one that talks like that or walks like yeah. that. <laughs> no, no, no. Not Sergeant Hubba Hubba Hubba. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Joy Lansing. Yeah. Wow. Unfortunately, a very sad life, actually. Uh, well, not while she was here, a sad end right. very early. Breast cancer, and she died at uh, 47, maybe, 48, in her 40s, uh, which was too bad. So, uh, yep, uh, 1972, age 43. So, very young, very young. And, uh, it's just too bad. She was really fun in a lot of grade B movies of the time. And, uh, you know, right out of the pinup mold of the 40s and 50s. And it, it's just perfect. Um, but by this time, by the time this show was, was shot in 50, in the summer of 58, I think this is when they, we're shooting these these episodes. By this time, we had already seen Marilyn Monroe do Some Like It Hot in the movies. We'd seen, uh, in other words, Marilyn had already been big. You know, right. she she was already big and was uh, major, major big. So we had at the time these these kind of you know bombshell women were very big at the time in the with uh, uh, mainly in the forties and the fifties with uh, some great pinup. Classic pinup images, and uh, I just love Joy Lansing in this. I think she's terrific. And George, <laughs> again, once we get to it, we'll, but that that her <laughs> her entrance and that scene right up to the second <laughs> that Bill Henderson <laughs> turns, <laughs> it's just oh, it's just classic, just classic. But yeah, I love this episode. I love this episode. And for the bad guy, and for uh, I think the the trick, I think putting him in the in the bathosphere thing at the bottom and trying to figure out how he can get him out without killing him, I think that was clever. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of danger in two eras, two areas. Right. Uh, it's just like I've always said, Star Trek. One of their great things was you got a problem on the ship while people are on the planet having a problem. Right. And they did that really well here. We have two problems, 
timing is is of the essence and Superman has to react. It's just really clever. I like it a lot. Especially if Superman's gonna be a little slow today. Mm, because right. there's no reason he need he could have been he should have been lowered to the bottom of the ocean, but we're gonna get to that. Yeah, yeah, we'll get that. Alright, so apparently we've uh, we've started this episode at the end because they're interrogating the criminal. Norm- Which is a good story device. Yeah, it I is. like that. That's not bad and and pretty advanced for this. They did it earlier in one of the earlier episodes. I'm not uh, saying it's the end of this episode, but this is kind of where an episode would an episode of typical episode would end before we got to this point. Right, exactly. So they're using the uh, lie detector here to uh, propel us into the story of this episode as they're trying to find out who's behind these string of robberies. Right. Henderson is uh, this guy keeps saying he won't lie, but he won't give up his boss, or he doesn't know. Apparently, we're going to find out he doesn't know. Yeah, they don't know. I don't think any of the that's the the whole idea of the Mister X right. thing. And Mr. N would sound stupid. <laughs> right. Could be Mr. Z. Mr. Could be. I think X, Y, and Z might be it. Or Mr. A. No, I think Z, X has to be it. Mm-hmm. Mr. X. X marks the spot. X is the variable. Yes. So either way, they don't. He doesn't, Duke here doesn't know who his boss is. And apparently his uh, best detective, O'Hara, is working the case. And Oh, by the way, in this scene, before we get to the sergeant. Okay. The one crook, mobster, standing in the back next to the cop. Right. There's two crooks in this scene. One that's doing all the talking. The one standing behind him has a hat on and doesn't say a word in the whole scene. Just stands there. We go, who is this guy? Is he a good guy? Bad? What is this? Oh, yeah. He's just kind of standing there. Just standing there. And then when they do leave, when they give up, and he says, all right, get him out of here. The cop takes them both out. Right. And then Henderson and Superman which is also unusual. Usually, if an episode starts like this, or there's a scene with Henderson interrogating Crumb, it's usually Kent with him. Right, not, not, Superman. not Superman, no. But this time, the story opens with Superman and Inspector Henderson interrogating a couple of mobsters, even though they only talk to one of them. The other one stands perfectly still behind him until at the end, and then the one cop grabs him. That's when you know, oh, that must have been a bad guy, too. That must have been Whitey Krell. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Who he got arrested with. Right. For If you're keeping score out there. I don't know anyone who is, but... I know. But then here we go. And now we get the entrance. Because Superman and, and Henderson... And Henderson does, you know, a very good job of saying, O'Hara is the best, and if O'Hara can't do it, nobody can. And if O'Hara... Keeping pronouns way, way out. Yeah. Of the way. There are no pronouns being spoken at all. And then he uh, even picks up the phone and says, "Somebody, whoever his person picks up the phone on the other end right. is, send O'Hara in." So, yep, and then Sergeant O'Hara. And the door, the 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 camera goes to the closed door and sits there for a second. I mean, it's not a. It goes over, pauses. They could almost end the pause, go, bum, 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 ba-dum, bum, bum. And then the door opens, hello. Yeah. <laughs> You're not getting that kind of interest for a 45-year-old man with a pot belly. No, hello. And, whoa, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> so, Sergeant, hubba, 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 right. opens the door, hubba, hubba, O'Hara, opens the door, pauses, does a nice take says her scene and right away superman wastes about a nanosecond before moving in on sergeant o'hara yeah he'll waste far more time in the bathroom later 
Oh my God. He takes plenty of time down there, but right now in this scene, he is moving in. He is. And he's suave. She holds his hand out. Well, I've always wanted to meet you. And shakes. She. he takes her hand yeah. instead of shaking it, puts his other hand on top of it, looks her dead in the eye. Sergeant O'Hara, will you marry me? What? <laughs> what? Why, yes. And Hender, Henderson is just great. It, 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 everything's <laughs> short of a spit take in right. this. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great Why? Take. Yeah. Uh, I can actually, you know, it's weird, but I can almost you know, see myself remembering that me doing exactly what Henderson is doing right. as a little kid going, what? <laughs> what? What just happened there? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. So, uh, just terrific. And we cut pretty much from that to the, uh, to the, um, to the reaction, to the reaction. Yeah. It's, it's done really, really well. You, yeah. And what happened? Did he just think of this plan right off the, uh, yeah, right then, right off the top of his head. If it had been a guy, it would the plan would not work at all. But because it was a woman, and you could, and George, I think, played this scene so well, right? Because even though he's a little flirty with her, right, you can almost see the wheels turning in his mind with that little grin that he's got, right? When he says, "Will you marry me?" You know, it was. It's almost. It's kind of weird because yes, I think right then he knew the plan. He had the plan. You know, she's beautiful, but she's a cop that has been, you know, they're they're telling us her resume is the best. Right. Okay. If she's so great, how come Superman's ever met her before? Well, a lot. You, you have to be careful when you ask those type of <laughs> questions in one-shot storylines. Maybe, maybe she just transferred in from Gotham or something. That's it. Because in the comics, they would do that all the time. They would bring in a character, and for that one episode, it's Superman's best friend that we've never heard of. And... They're gone. Or Lois's younger brother that we've never heard of, and right. he's gone. Occasionally, they would stick around. Lucy Lane, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But not, not like Lana's brother who discovered Superboy's secret identity. Exactly. Exactly. In Adventure Comics, and he's on the cover, never to be heard from again. And stay tuned for news about future episodes of Superboy Forever, where you will hear that story. You mean we're going to hear that podcast someday? Someday. <laughs> Somewhere, when you least expect it. <laughs> Boom! Superboy Forever will pop up. What's going to come first, that podcast or Star Trek Discovery? That's a good question. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> uh, where are we? Oh, yeah, Sergeant uh, Vavavoom has walked in. Superman has proposed to her. And, and she's not creeped out at all because right. of Superman. Because of Superman. But I think it is interesting because I don't think... She catches quite, you know, I don't, her feelings are a little ambiguous at this point. She's smiling as if he may really be proposing. And wow, of course I'll marry you, Superman. But so that might be a little cruel if she didn't catch on right away, you know. But then we find out, of course. Yeah. What a great entrance for a character. Have we seen any other character on this series have that kind of an entrance? I don't. I just don't. Not, 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 a, not a guest character. Not a guest character, exactly. Has never made this kind of an entrance on this show and caused that kind of a, uh, a ruckus. Right. It's just, <laughs> just terrific. And I love that Joy Lansing is just playing it up to the hill. Oh, the whole thing, the cop part and the, uh, and the, the bomb. but anyway, Sergeant O'Hara is a detective. Yes, she is. And Superman definitely detected her. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
No, that's the Kool-Aid guy. So when do you think she is informed that this is a ruse? <laughs> Uh, probably before the wedding and before it showed up in the newspaper the next day. I froze on the newspaper. I, I did a freeze frame on the newspaper. Freeze frame! <laughs> Jay Galsman. But I froze the image of the Daily Planet because the scene opens uh, with us seeing the headline in the Daily Planet right. over Perry White's shoulder. And then Perry uh, reads the story. But I was looking to see if it actually gave Lois a byline. And I didn't see the byline anywhere. But it, Perry tells us that in the first line of the story, Lois says in an exclusive for Lois Lane. So way to go, Superman. Yet Lois isn't in on it. None of the planet is in on it. So Lois was not in on it. She assumed she was actually writing the story of Superman's wedding. Did they conveniently not tell her that O'Hara was a detective? Apparently. No. The story even said. The story said married Oh, God, I need to listen to that. I think it actually gave her name as sergeant of the city. Sergeant well, Helen. Helen. I'd have to hear that dialogue. But I think he actually, I think in that story, Perry read it. It said. Hang on. Okay, you're going to listen. I have, I do have it. I didn't make a clip of that. In an exclusive interview with Lois Lane, Daily Planet reporter, Superman revealed his surprise marriage last night to Miss Helen J. O'Hara of this... Miss Helen J. O'Hara. Miss Helen J. O'Hara. So it does not give her a rank or name. Okay. No. <clears throat> Miss Helen J. of the city, this city. Right. Okay. Because if they put her rank there, it wouldn't make that sense. That would have tipped them off. It wouldn't yeah, make that sense that Mr. X didn't know she was a cop. Exactly. That would have tipped them off. Well, I thought maybe we found a little continuity flub, but good. Okay, good. She did not... So Lois does not know that she is a, a, a detective. And so nobody knows, which is why it will work. And Jimmy, though, hits right on the whole point that, because Perry even says, you were, you know, very good story, Lois, in the details. And Jimmy says, wow, now for the first time, I guess we all know where Superman lives. Right. And Perry says, well, big deal. So what? Yeah, the uh, ramifications of that seem to be a little bit lost on Perry. Yeah, and Jimmy picks up on it, but all Lois is thinking about, of course, is her sadness and wanting to give the newlyweds some privacy. Well, Jimmy is coming at it from a different angle, that if they watch uh, watch the house, they'll figure out who Superman is. Oh, that's right. And and Perry says, oh, he'll come in through the window, you fool. He won't be walking in through the lobby. <laughs> and even if he walked through the lobby in the skies, how would Jimmy know? Exactly, and nobody has said that. Superman married O'Hara in his secret identity that he has, he that married, nobody knows. He was married as Superman. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. I know, Yeah, interesting. I doubt seriously that any of them thought this deeply about it. No, I, I'm, I'm sure we are thinking more. <laughs> I'm sure we are thinking more about this plan than uh, Robert yeah. Leslie Bellum and Whitney Ellsworth did. Uh, yeah, yeah. They just took the story and ran with it. Because, you know, this doesn't seem like, if he, if he is hatching a trap, it's weird that he would let Lois write it. Exactly. That's kind of, he would write it as Clark to make sure it said what he wanted it to say. Right. But, you know, it is kind of interesting. But Lois's emotions seem a little bit raw for uh, right. her to be in on it, too. Exactly. So we know she's not in on it. And she even said, you know, Jimmy actually said something about it being the story of the year or something. Yeah. And She could really uh, care less. Yeah, and Lois was just, you know... I guess I should be happy that... that uh, he gave it to me and not Clark. And not Clark, exactly. So, yeah, nobody is in on it except Henderson, the sergeant, and uh, uh, Superman. Well, we have no idea what Henderson's in on. We don't see Henderson again in this episode. No, we don't. But uh, but 
you know, you, you really have to, you, you have, have to, to assume, yes, that as soon as Superman proposed to her and she smiled and accepted at that point, when Henderson went, what? Yeah. They, the whole plan was, was, the whole plan put was out laid out after the season. Right then. After the dissolve. Exactly. And, uh, but man, that's such a great scene. So, so. right after Lois, uh, is, as Lois is depressed here, Jimmy, uh, will do the, uh, the worst thing you can ever tell your boss that you have no work to do. <laughs> I know. I, I couldn't imagine. Gee, it's, I'm on the clock. I'm just standing here in front of my boss and I'm actually saying, what? Well, I don't have anything to do. Aren't you a reporter of some kind? That is, I a, think that is an invitation for your boss to pile work upon you. Absolutely. I, there are times when I've honestly mastered the art of doing nothing. Oh yeah. Busy work. Yes. Look like you're busy. Look busy so they don't give you something else to do. Yeah. It doesn't usually work, but the eff- the effort is noble. That's true. Well, is it noble? I mean, really. It's noble from my point of view. <laughs> maybe, maybe not from theirs. Uh, well, Perry tells him to go find something. <laughs> All right, so we have the story now in the paper, and the, and the hoods now have done exactly what Jimmy thought they would do. Right. Now everybody knows where Superman lives, on the 18th floor of the Barefoot Apartments or something. Right. And uh, Mrs. Superman doodly, wait, doodly waited for the uh, the men to come kidnap her. Cause it didn't take long. Basically, Superman is using her as, as bait to, on a fishing trip. Yep. Yep. But she's a cop. Trying to get some criminals dangle out the pretty blonde. And apparently she's been going after these guys herself for a while, so she knows the risks. Yeah, she she did say during the opening scene that she was trying to get in the game. Exactly. Yeah, how? This is, maybe they needed a platinum blonde gun mall. Yeah. But yeah, who knows? But boy, this really worked. Somehow I don't think she's up for Blinky's job. Right. But you know, when you think about it, this is more logical that he would use her as a police officer and go through this scam instead of Lois. Right. Which... Lois is not a cop. Lois is not trained uh, in those areas, and she has put her life in jeopardy many times for a story. But I don't know that Superman would actually use Lois as bait. Jimmy is usually the one dangled out there like a, like a Christmas ham. <laughs> right. right. He usually uses Jimmy as bait most of the time. No. So, but anyway, I think it's a. I think the plan is a pretty logical one. It worked. Yeah. So uh, here, he is, here she is. She is now. Uh, being, has now been captured, and she's brought to uh, John Eldridge, or Mr. X, as he likes to be called in this episode. And he will deliver all the exposition that you care to listen to, because that's fine, because I'll listen to John Eldridge read the phone book. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he is so good. He's got that kind of voice. Yeah, he is good. And he's going to rack up the telephone minutes here, as he calls Clark, telling him that he has Mr. Superman. And uh, Clark blusters a bit. and he's, Until he hangs up. Until he hangs up, and then he smiles. You know, if you know how this episode is going to end, mm-hmm. this is the first clue. Yep. That yep. this marriage is not what it appears to be and that he's uh, right. This is conning uh, the criminals. Right. And this is the first time Clark's letting us in on the, okay, it's all working according to plan. Right. So right there, you should know he's up to something. Right. And this is actually a famous still. This this particular still oh, image of George Reed. It goes all over the internet, all over the place, all the time, of him leaning back with his hands behind his head and a big smile. You know? Right. Yep, working. This is it. Here we go. Working like a champ. And 
This and the ending scene, I believe, are the only two times you see Clark in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's primarily a Superman episode. I'm noticing as we get to as we're getting toward these later episodes, there's a lot more Superman than there was at the beginning. Right until the very last episode. Well, yeah, we're about <laughs> no Superman. <laughs> He's behind the camera. So, uh, Mister X is going to send his uh, unnecessarily elaborate plan into motion here, sending Blinky to the pier with a movie camera, mm-hmm. which may or may not be the same camera he sent that woman off with a crime wave, <laughs> <laughs> or the same camera they use. Yeah, over and over again. Right. <clears throat> but yeah, does it have three little lenses on it, like old Kami cameras had back it, it then? Had at just... le- it had at least two. Yeah. <clears throat> so so now, if you if you want to learn about bathospheres, this is a good episode to watch. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, somebody parked one at uh, Pier 96 at the uh, at the pier that nobody uses. So Right. Here. Didn't stick out at all. Right, and... You know, as soon as they hear about the bathosphere, Jimmy is all defensive. He's like, don't look at me. I didn't park it there. <laughs> <laughs> and then I love this line. What's a bathosphere? Something you take a bath in? Oh, <laughs> uh, God. He's so good. Yeah. Jack is just so good. So Jimmy is just being dumb right now. Yes. Although Jimmy was the smartest one when they actually get to the bathosphere. Right. Because he didn't want to go in. I ain't going in there. It is kind of ridiculous how easily all of them, including Superman, just, just stepped into that thing. Yeah. But look, we'll get to that in a few minutes. Yeah. So eventually Jimmy is coaxed into the bathosphere, <laughs> you know. Mm. And what kind of story is actually inside the bathosphere? Is there a manifesto sitting on a shelf? I don't know. What are, plus, they, what are they expecting to find in this thing? I don't know. And plus, it's not that big that you can't really see in it from the pier. You right. just lean in a little bit and you can see all inside. You know there's nothing in there that you need to go in for. But plot demands it. Well, the plot's going to demand what happens next, too. Because Superman shows up. He goes in, tells them to get out of there, and he walks right in. Walks right in. Calls their names out. Are you in there? Come on, get out of there. No, in fact, stay there. I'll come in with you. Yeah. And <laughs> so he goes in, and the door closes. Why doesn't he turn around and kick that door right up, right back open? Good question. Before he even notices that it's moving. Right. He can kick that door open, get out, grab the cable so it doesn't sink anything. So it doesn't mm-hmm. sink. Meanwhile, now nah, he's just going to sit there as they sink into a fish tank. <laughs> Clunk. And there are some impressive looking goldfish at the bottom of Metropolis Harbor. <laughs> There's also an angelfish that, that swam by, too. I guess that means it's fresh water. Yeah, I guess so. Well, whatever it is, it's blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but I do like this whole little bit now, even right. though it was kind of clunky getting here. Yeah. Now that you've got Superman, Perry, Lois, and Jimmy on the bottom of the water. Yeah, yeah, this, <clears throat> this next bit is good. Yeah. Although they leave her, I think they said they were leaving to go set up the dynamite. Well, they set up that dynamite awful quick. Awful quick. Because, yeah, because she's trying to now, she, by the way, is O'Hara. Right. Is making a phone call. She's making a phone call on the uh, very uh, conveniently left on radio that was in the living room there. Right, right. A lot of people apparently had radios in the late 50s. Everybody who needed needed them in this show had one, so she... Yeah, shortwave radio. Although she's she's got some brains inside that uh, that platinum blonde hairdo. Yeah, man. Because she she calls, she uh, goes on the radio, she lays out the entire plan, and then when she hears them come in, she starts again. Yeah. And actually fools them into thinking that she didn't get her message out. Yeah, that she had just started. Oh, that was really, really well done. Oh, that was really nice. I love the way she did that, too. And again, Joy Lansing well acted when she turned and saw them coming in and and immediately thought, 
and started over. Right. Including giving herself away as a police officer. Because she did say, this is Sergeant O'Hare at that point. I don't recall if she said that the first time. But she did do it when she now did but it she, this time. She definitely did it this time. Yeah. And, th- and that's how that's when um, how Mr. X finds out that, that she's a cop and that she's going to retire from the force. Right, but he still believes she's Superman's wife. Right, he still believes that. And honestly, at this point in the story, at this point now, it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter at all. They have her, they have what they want. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So, so now they know that they've got about 15 or so minutes to go. <laughs> they basically need to get that bat, get, Superman needs to get the hell out of there. Right. You know, like I said, Jimmy's been the smartest one about the bathosphere. He didn't want to go in, and then he, by saying lift, he gives Superman the idea to uh, yank off the top plate and pull the cable down. Why he didn't think of that before, I don't know. But. Yeah, I'm not sure it works. No. I'm not sure this particular concept would work. The cable is stretched out, right, right. on the bottom of the thing. He un- unattaches it from the top of the bathosphere. Now, just pulling that chain, that rope rather, isn't really going to make the bathosphere go up unless he's pulling up against the top of it. No, it, what it, actually what it should do is provide pull whatever it should pull the uh, the mechanism the mechanism down. down into the water. What it should do exactly. It's, how is he getting lift? Simply now, I can understand it's like he himself is crawling up the wire. Okay, now if there was no bathosphere. Superman's on the bottom of the ocean or the water, the lake, wherever. And there is this really long rope with a thing on the bottom of it. Okay. See, what I don't understand like, is why couldn't he just fly on, yeah. on the inside? On the inside. And lift and it, from the, it and, and push up. it from the inside. Yes. I think in Superman and comics would probably do something like that. And they could probably simulate that easily enough. You that, would think. That set is small enough. Right. You know, they, but they, th- this is rather dramatic. The water is coming in and everybody's getting wet and stuff. But I just still don't think the physics. I don't know because as he pulls, he's it's, it's as if he's pulling himself up that cord and the it, cord just now piles up on the floor. It's as if he's climbing, climbing the rope. It's climbing the rope, but nothing is pushing the bathosphere up as he pulls on the rope. It would pull him up. But in order for this technique to work, and it seems still, like... And he's still standing on the floor. He would need to be at the at the ceiling pushing. Pushing or attached somehow to the floor. Right. Let's, just, let's say that there is something on the floor that's attached to the floor, a chair that's bolted to it, a bench, and he puts his feet under that so that then as he pulls on it, it would pull the bathosphere up with him as he climbs up the rope. But he's not attached to anything. So the mere fact of him pulling on that rope, it would only do what you say. It would pull whatever mechanism. His super strength would pull whatever mechanism down. Get down into the water. Unless he is either at the top and uses one hand to pull the rope, while the other hand is braced against the top of the bathosphere. Now, that would be one way he could be pulling it and going up. But he would have to be flying up towards the ceiling. Right. And pulling on the rope at the same time. So just pulling the rope isn't going to do it. No. Well, he, but well, it's a dramatic effect. It, it looks good. Uh, but the physics of it, it, it just doesn't work. No, no it doesn't. But it, it look, exactly, it looks good. And honestly, that's probably the only thing the writers thought of. That's all. Yeah, that's all. That's all. They're not thinking whether or not this would actually work. No, no. Because it wouldn't. Unless he is somehow himself attached to the bathosphere. If Superman is attached to the bathosphere on the inside... Then pulling the rope, he would be climbing it and bringing the bathosphere up with him. 
But if he's not attached to anything, he's just standing on the bottom on the floor. That rope isn't doing a thing. And if and if he's attached, he doesn't need the rope. Well, then he could fly. Then we're assuming he just flies up. But let's assume for some reason he can't fly up. That the flying on the inside doesn't push him up. Of course it would, but right. he has to come up with some of Let's say he has to use the rope technique. The only way that works is if he is either pushing against the ceiling or attached to the bottom of the bathysphere himself so that he's pulling it up there. He's not really pulling up anything. He's pulling the rope down. Right, yeah, right. Unless he is, I don't know, unless he is somehow anchored. Well, he would have to be anchored to that bathysphere somehow. Can he anchor himself? Well, uh, okay, let's use the reverse of that. If he's not flying up, maybe he is kind of flying down. So he's pushing against the bottom of the bathysphere while pulling the rope, which then would pull him up while trying to fly down. So if he could make himself heavy like Starboy or create other things, yeah. But I don't, that, I don't, I think he has to be attached physically to the bathysphere somehow for the rope trick to work. Right. He has to be attached to it somehow or holding on to it, which, like I said, with his feet maybe hooked up under a bench or something. But yeah. And he gets good and wet, too. He does. Get, he's, he's really getting the only. That six season blue costume really wet. Yeah, and he's really the only one. Yeah. But he does get wet. Lois and Jimmy stand on a little bench in the corner. They see there's since the bench is there, if Superman had one of his feet wrapped around it or legs under it, then it would work. Right, because then he could pull the bathysphere up that way. Exactly. But he was he's just standing on the floor. It doesn't work. But for the sake of the storyline, it did work. Yay! Yeah, he got him to the top. <laughs> got him to the top, breaks out. Well, he doesn't break out. Holds it up there while they jump out. Then let's go. And, of course, it falls back to the bottom immediately. And But that's fine because he can then fly out. Right. No problem. And it was a nice little uh, explosion of water when he hits the door. Yes. Even, yes. even though if you watch closely, the water clearly comes from by the camera and not from the door. Right. Exactly. But still. Nice little scene. All right. Nice little. So while, nice little while all this is going on, they're <clears throat> tying O'Hara to the bridge here. And you see this little wooden bridge. Would you want to drive a truck over that? No. No, 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 no. I wouldn't want to walk over. Well, I'd walk over that bridge. Yeah, but. I wouldn't be driving a big, you know, two-ton uh, truck over that. No. Thing. It didn't look like it could support that kind of weight, but. No, no. It uh, definitely uh, supports uh, O'Hara getting tied to the railing. I think they used some stock footage of that truck. I don't think that was shot for this episode. No. Might have been, but it did seem like a a piece of stock footage somewhere. Well, well, maybe it was. I mean, there was a shot of Superman and the truck on the road together. That's true. So, could have been. I'd have to go back and look to see if it was a different truck, but... Yeah, but to me it felt a little like cutting to stock footage of truck on dirt road. Right. Well, and Superman was on the... Dirt road with the truck, so. But before, yeah, but, probably, but before probably. that, we do get this hilarious conversation with Lois as they're leaving the bathroom sphere. Basically, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Where he's trying to tell her to get out, and uh, he's basically arguing with him. Yeah, but he's pretty calm. If you'll just, you know, well, step aside, I'm not going to die. I'm going to let go, and then I, and then it will sink, and then I'll swim uh, to the surface. Yes, everything will be fine. So somebody tells her to get lost so he can get to work. Right. <laughs> So she leaves, the fuse is lit, and now it's pretty much a race against time here. Da-da. Superman leaves, leaves the sphere, and he flies through the river in a shot that three cycle from the last time Superman swam in the water. Right. 
I don't remember what episode that was on top of my head, but I do remember it. Yep. He diverts the truck. Say he was uh, Sergeant O'Hara, but not the bridge. And while all this is going on, we're going to spend some time with Blinky putting in some earplugs. <laughs> because, he, you know, the explosion is bad for his hearing. <laughs> Which leads into an interesting scene when Superman shows up. That apparently he didn't notice Superman with his eyes while his earplugs were in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Until he jumps right in front of him. Whoa, hello. He takes the earplugs that looks up. Oh, Superman. And, it's a, and they all start shooting. And this is the, the bored Superman shot. Yeah. Yeah. Ho-hum. Yeah. Bullets bouncing off. Again. Don't you guys learn anything? They do not. And the henchmen pretty much take care of themselves. The one on the left knocks himself out on a rock, and, <laughs> and Blinky just falls down. Right. And same, the, same crook car, though, that was used in, um, well, several previous episodes. Well, the, the dealer was uh, having, a, having a discount. Yeah. If you buy in bulk, you get an extra uh, 10% off. Oh, on turquoise Dodge, Chrysler Dodges. Dodge Chrysler. Although there was an orange one at one point, and the Atomic Captive, I believe it was. Yeah. So, Mr. Rex does the smartest thing he's done all episode, and he surrenders. <laughs> yeah. He's not messing with Superman. Yeah. He's a really good bad guy. He I is. Like he's, one my, I, I, he's one of I my just favorites. Like him. Yeah, I like him a lot. He's just really good. You should look him up in the IMDb and then go and find some of his other TV appearances. Uh, I think you'd really like him in those two. He was, did some Perry Masons. And, I think I've seen him in something else. Yeah, he, he's really good. He's just really good. I mean, he's one of those uh, that guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like you watch you watch him, you have no idea who the hell he is, but he's that guy. No, that guy that you see in everything. Everything. Yeah, and he's really good in everything he does. Right. I've just liked him a lot over the years. One of those guys who you know maybe never had a series of his own, but right was a. Working actor, as they say. Yep. And now we get to the ending. Once again, back at the Daily Planet in Perry's office yep. with all of the regular cast. Well, Henderson's not there. He's kind of a secondary cast. Yeah, but Perry, Lois, Jimmy. Our Daily, uh, our daily Planet folks are there. Our Daily Planet folks are there with Sergeant Va-Va-Va-Boom. Right. And, and this is an interesting last scene and i wonder how many takes it took him to do this this is just an amazing scene especially when you know so much now about the characters not the characters the, but actors. the actors and all of the stuff that was going on in this scene and the jokes and the stuff that just had to have happened you know in it, this scene. if you know that uh jack larson is gay right his line about if i were the marrying kind yeah, it takes exactly. on a little a little bit of a, of a different meaning. Yes, if I was the marrying kind, I well, I might ask you to marry me too. Right. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Jimmy. But I think I'll wait for the next time when Superman asks me for real. Right. And well, Lois. Well, yeah, meow. yeah, Lois needs to <laughs> assert herself here and uh, remind uh, Sergeant O'Hara that she is yeah. there. That she is and there. I'm but sorry. Might no. have a little competition. I'm sorry, Noel. We love you, but you are no competition. Yeah, not not it's not the uh, heart, not yeah. not the Sergeant Vavavo. Well, it depends on your criteria. There are people that would and there and then there. So that's what makes horse races. Everybody yeah. has their favorites, and and uh, but anyway, I love this line there. Clark then actually says, "Well, Jim, it looks like normal guys like you and I don't have a chance as long as Superman's around or something." Whatever he said, right? That's what he said. Uh, and then both Lois and and uh, Noel and Joy at the same time goes, well, is there? Right. 
than uh, everyone laughed. And it really seemed like they must have nailed that scene because the laugh seemed really The laugh seemed good. real. Yeah, it did. It seemed really funny and good and uh, like they were actually having a good time in this scene and that, you know, it seemed to work. I, I just loved this episode. You know, the, end, mean, of, the end of this ep- episode kind of made me think of Star Trek a little bit. Right. They could have almost played that little right. uh, Star Trek happy music at the end of it, the little goofy happy ending music. Yeah, you know, right right at the end we hear that Scotty has sent the tribbles to the Klingons. Exactly. And they're all laughing. And they're all laughing. Exactly. Uh, same kind of feel, same kind of thing, the whole cast together, right. all of them laughing with the guest star of the episode. It's just, just such a really, really, really fun episode. Now, I don't put it on the same level with Divide and Conquer or the Mysterious Cube or Panic in the Sky no. or, you know, some of those. But damn close for entertainment. Oh, yeah. This this is really an entertaining Superman episode. Superman is in it a lot. The Clark Kent bits are short, but they're just right on the money. And again, in both of these episodes, Superman was neutralized in some way. In some way, exactly. Exactly. And, and, uh, you know, particularly in this one, I think it was clever, even though we can, you know, tear it apart now. but it, it's really kind of clever. I love, like I've mentioned before so many times, I do love the two things going on at the same time and, you know, having to get them as time is running out. And uh, I thought having them at the bottom of the water in a bathosphere and he can't leave without injuring them. How do we get out right. while the clock is ticking down and the fuse is lit on the dynamite? Right. If there's a way to beat Superman, right, is you give him a deadline. Is to give him a deadline. And, yeah. throw, and throw obstacles in his way. Because Superman can't be in two places at once unless he does the divide and conquer trick again. And look what that took out of him. Yeah. He can't really be Superman if he does that. No. So, so yeah, just terrific. Just just really, really terrific. I think it's uh, one of the fun episodes. And season six, the final season, is just putting some really good episodes in here to, to end this sucker off. They didn't know it was the final season. but And... The series is changing a little bit. Yes, it is. You know, yeah. there's no more, you know, silly stories like Mm-mm. The Stolen Elephant. Right. But we're, we're taking more of a of a science fiction slant. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, almost kind of going into like 50s B-movie science fiction. Yeah, exactly. And I just think it's, it's amazing that had the series ended, we have some pieces of scripts, we have a movie that they were working on that uh, they would were hoping to shoot after this season, between this season and the next season. They were going to shoot a 26th episode, season 7. Yes. And it just didn't happen for obvious reasons. Which but, we'll talk uh, about in a couple of weeks. Which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. But but the uh, the script for the movie has been turned into a comic book drawn by Randy Garrett. The, uh, the, secret, the secret Planet or whatever it was called? Yes. That was planned as a movie. And everyone should go read that comic because visualize that as uh, a, a moment type hour or 90 minute uh, TV movie and uh, with these actors and stuff. And you'll see that just what you were saying, they are heading towards the science fiction and adding a few more fantastic elements to it. Um, it was just so sad. I would have loved even with an aging George Reeves. I would have loved to have seen them carry on this for another season or two. Like you know, you get um, the feeling going through season five. It's a feeling they got. They weren't really trying, right? You know, they're right. trying again. Yeah, I think you're right. I think season five, it, it was 
it was just a kid show. It was a boring kid show. And for some reason, something happened between season five and six that it feels like they got inspired again. They figured it out. They were in the groove, you know, and little episodes like this. I mean, even the it was still a kid's show. Oh, absolutely. But it was the plot lines were far more interesting. Right. They are getting more interesting. Even with the previous episode of The Gentle Monster, there are some levels there. There's some stories about bigotry and fear. And even the professor says it, you know, when Lois says, well, let's talk. This is wonderful. He says, no, 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 because you know how people are always afraid of things they don't understand. And they make decisions based on that. And that's bad. So So you would be afraid if you saw a robot walking walking around your house next door? I would not because I wouldn't believe it was a real robot. I would say, what the hell is going on? Who's doing this? And which of my friends can afford to have pay an actor to put this costume on? I can't believe somebody's doing this. Until then it realized, oh, that's a real robot. Cool. Who built you? I would have questions right. until it started tearing crap up. But uh, no, I, I, you know, uh, I'm prepared for the UFO landing and the aliens <laughs> and the robots and the robots. But the uh, UFOs and the aliens and the robots are looking at us and they're they're moving on. They're moving on. They're moving on. They're, they're, no, we don't need to. No, we don't need that. We'll just wait and come back when the planet is empty. <laughs> we don't need to exterminate them. They're going to do it themselves. Yeah, they're going to do it themselves. But uh, but no, I think we had a couple of winners here this week. Yes. I, I enjoyed both of them. And I just think these are just really, really fun episodes. I would have no problem recommending either one of the episodes tonight for someone, even if they had never seen The Adventures of Superman. If they said, I want to show my kids, I'd say, well, you can show either one of these. These are great episodes, and there'll be some little stories in them. And uh, George looks good. Even in, remember I mentioned in when we were talking about the monster, but in that first scene when George Reeves is talking to Bill Henderson before Joy Lansing comes in, they do a close-up on George. And he looks he looks uh, a little old. He, he right. looks older. I don't have a problem with a little older Superman, a right. mature Superman. I have no problem with that. You know, I don't. My Superman doesn't have to be perpetually twenty nine years old. No. And I'm actually a little disappointed that the comics merged New Fifty Two and the other guy, and now he's back being young again. I was kind of enjoying a little bit older Superman, but well, he can't be that young. Uh, I know, but you know, ugh. We'll see. I don't know where they're going. That's a whole different topic. But um, but no, I'm glad we did that. This was a good one. Yes, they were. Next time, it's going to be not as good. <laughs> Why? What's coming up next time? Well, right? we've got more circus action in 3-in-1. Uh, uh-huh. And then I'll cover George Reeves' directorial debut in The Brainy Burrow. Uh, yeah, I'm real sorry I couldn't be here for The Brainy Burrow. I'm, not. Sure, I'm sure you are. No. But, but, but yeah. you'll, you'll be back for... Uh, the final two episodes of the series. Can you believe that? That's amazing. That's amazing that in a couple of weeks I'll be back for the, the last two. That's, that's, the per- yeah, it's the just the perils of Superman and all that glitters. And two really, really, really good ones. That's, that's, that's just too bad that Brainy Burrow had to stick in there. I probably would like the three, the circus three guys. Right. I think I like that one more than you. But, I don't really, uh, I don't really remember it. Okay. Well, I'll probably remember it more once I watch it. Okay. But if I were here to watch it with you, I would probably like it a little better than you do. The uh, but, the not so good is really more of a shot at the Brainy Burrow than anything else. Oh, the Brainy Burrow is terrible. And that has nothing to do with the actors or anything. It's just a 
it's just too, I don't know. It's just too childish for me. There's too many holes. There's too many. Oh God, did they really do that? Yes. You know, sometimes the writers serve up a turd. Yes, they do. But anyway, I was glad to be here for this one. This one was good. I enjoyed these. So why don't you tell the people where they can find it? Superman Forever Radio Podcast at supermanforever.com. That's it. Right there. Yeah, there oh, it is. Bob at Superman Forever. If you want to send me an email, you can do that. Bob at Superman Forever. But if you want to talk to me about what I said on this show, then you have to send it to Mike because I blame him for anything that I said on this show. Well, that's good. Everybody else blames me for things. So <laughs> what's, what's one? What's one more? Right. All right. And you can uh, email me at manofscreen at gmail.com. You can join the conversation over in the Facebook group. Just put a, uh, the Man of Screen podcast into your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. Also, leave me a review on iTunes and Stitcher. That helps people find the show in those directories. So, for Bob Fisher, this is Mike Zumo saying thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Later. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright to their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra so you can shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com and you can also leave the show review on itunes that will help others find the show thank you for listening to the man of screen podcast